You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians network. Find more great shows like this at wearelibertarians.com. All right, let's get back to some boring subjects. Understand the risk to our country. Freedom brings people together. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to We Are Libertarians. My name is Chris Spangle. So glad that you are joining us today. We hope that you enjoy the program. We're going, we have the uh, an all-star cast of We Are Libertarians hosts from across the political spectrum. Yes, libertarians can have a consistent ideology while disagreeing with each other from cultural perspectives. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So stay tuned, trying to uh, replicate our group chat, which I will tell you about. We've already got one angry react from Leo Mora, so I expect many, many more on this program. Stay tuned. Warning, this show is for adults, produced by semi-adults, so the language is sometimes strong and offensive. Uh, I don't know what I said. Uh... Welcome to We Are Libertarians, where our goal is to help you sound smarter while talking to your friends. We examine current events from a libertarian perspective while treating modern politics with all of the irreverence it deserves. There has been lie after lie. We toss out the screaming heads, put people before political parties, and give context to the news to make you think. Now, here's our host, a 15-year veteran of politics and media, Chris Spangle. Welcome to the program. Again, my name is Chris Spangle. It's so great to have you here on the program. This is episode 456 of the uh, program, recorded on September 5th, 2020, the ninth month of our living hell, with only um, many more decades to go. Striking a hopeful tone from the beginning. Someone asked me yesterday, when do you think this will all be over? And I said, <laughs> uh, and that's part of what we're going to talk about today is that I, I tend to think, and I'm sure maybe some of our co-hosts that I'll introduce in just one moment will disagree with this because that's what this episode will be about is disagreement. It is that we lived and were born, those of us who are, I'll be 37 on September 9th in just a few days, and we grew up in a relatively peaceful time. Who knew that the 1990s were the pinnacle of civilization? You know, you, you had OJ, you had uh, Nancy Kerrigan and Tanya Harding, you had the Bobbits. Who knew that the Bobbits were the, were the low point and the high point of, uh, of civilization? And uh, everyone... Quiet, you in the background here, Hody. I know that was you. And you had a, a brief period of, of uh, calm. And I don't know that we'll ever go back to that particular calm. And so we are going to have to learn to coexist with one another. And as libertarians, we believe in no government organizing society, and we'd have to organize society ourselves, which means peaceful, voluntary transactions. And the libertarian movement needs to replicate and give a good example of what that society will look like. How can you have um, anarcho-capitalism or, in Ryan's case, who will join us in a moment, I don't know, anarcho-communism. We'll ask him what he believes uh, as we begin the tribunal for being a, a virulent leftist. Um, but we have to learn to coexist. And here at We Are Libertarians, we have a group chat of 20 different people, and this group chat is has become a family, and we have many different people who share many different concerns, and we have many different arguments, and we've had a lot of arguments over the last two weeks, and I wanted to bring those to you and let those spill over 
and uh, have a conversation around that. Um, so let me introduce the Brady Bunch-like uh, group here and ha- have everybody go around and introduce themselves. We'll start, we'll go by seniority here on the network, and that is uh, Harry Price. Harry, please introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself. There's a lot of new listeners. The the All the stats are showing that we're getting a ton of new people tuning into We Are Libertarians, so they may not even know who you are. So please tell them who you are, what you believe, what your general milieu is. Hello, uh, my name is Harry Price. Uh, let's see, I came on to the um, We Are Libertarians as just as a guest because I had my own podcast, but that went down in a gigantic racist uh, dumpster fire. <laughs> you um, literally <laughs> called me and you go, hey, my co-host just called me the N-word. Can I join Wall? <laughs> so I just kind of just stuck around. You know, it's just easier this way, you know, because, you know, I had a lot to say and, you know, needed somewhere to, to put all this. So uh, Spangler just kind of kept me around and, you know, slowly over time, I just, you know, kept... Know, not wanted to be on all the time and then you know just kind of make me to uh, get on the time just forced me to be here um my political views when i first started wall was like you know i really thought i was just a just a run-of-the-mill frederick douglas style republican i started there um it's complete status yep i voted for bush and uh actually supported huckabee at one point of time um and then me too man me to too <laughs> Me too. Completely switched to that. Um, the next thing I know, went, went libertarian, but then, then saw, uh, but then, then dodged that, then, then went straight to black anarchist, and here I stay, and I, I'm happy this way. <laughs> but I'm the, you know, I'm the nice kind of anarchist. I'm the one that looks at the libertarian party, sees what she tries to do, and is like, cool, this is what I believe in my own day life, and I'm not going to interfere with what you guys are doing because what you guys are doing made me. So I'm going to try to help you make more of me, you know? Uh, very good. Reinhold would be next on the uh, chart of, I almost said hierarchy, but that's not uh, the case. Uh, uh, seniority is the word I was thinking of. Um, order. Hierarchy in terms of age. Reinhold, you are our, our wizened old timer around here who gives us all kinds of historical perspective because you live through most of it. The senile. <laughs> <laughs> the Joe Biden. Biden. Yeah. So, yeah, so my background is uh, I became a um, libertarian in the early 90s um, and been following the movement since then. And and I've seen a few things and I've heard a few things and I have some historical context, as you say, with uh, as I was born in the 60s and grew up uh, in the early 70s. Still remember there's still a lot of that era bouncing around in my head and I understand. it was it was it was new history like if you, people hear about stuff right now that um they don't realize how recent it was i mean even i growing up was thinking was hearing about vietnam and i was probably six seven years old when the, the war ended um and to me i still thought it was like ancient history right i mean that's i understand how that works going forward so I try to I try to make sure everybody understands that the the context of our times aren't exactly uh, haven't ex- exactly been new. We're we're still we're still rehashing things we've rehashed and rehashed. And it's rehashed like every every ready. four years we're reliving the Denver Accords yeah. in the Libertarian Party, which will one day we'll do an episode explaining that and and why we're still doing that. I was after afterwards Brad Palumbo when I did an interview, which which was the last episode. He goes, all right, what's the deal with this, with the Mises caucus and like the LP and Rand Paul and all this stuff? I go, Cato stole Rothbard's 
shares of Cato, the Koch brothers did, and then now we're still reliving that fight over and over and over. <laughs> so it's like, it's it's never a never ending. Um, but you, you, Reinhold, I would say, you know, the older you, the longer you're a libertarian, the more you turn into Reinhold. And uh, I have found that to be somewhat true for myself, where you end up kind of in the center where you're just like, I hate all of you equally, and I have no team, and you're all stupid. That's sort of your, you're the, uh, the, the, you used to be the leftist of the group, and then Ryan joined us, and then now you're, you know, when, when Ryan left for like yeah, three was, weeks, and then he, he just stopped answering, and then all of a sudden everybody's like, Reinhold, you're a, you're a Democrat, and I was like, oh man. It take long, and it, it's really more a case of, I mean, I don't subscribe to your um, view of things, so therefore I must be the exact opposite and horrible person and doing, you know. None of my well, at least you're self-aware. Near progressive. What's that? I said at least you're self-aware, but uh, sorry, I stepped on you uh, by making a bad joke. <laughs> it's all right, but uh, yeah, it's just I am what you know. It, I, I have no progressive views at all. I, you would not, if you sat down and if I did the chart, the um, the, the political compass chart would probably write down the middle at one hundred, but. It's a. Uh, it doesn't matter. I mean, people are going to believe what they want to believe and and fulfill their own biases that way. So, all right. Up yeah. next on the seniority chart would be Brian Nichols. Uh, you've been, <laughs> gosh, years now. Years. Uh, you've been three. Uh, have you been? Ha- have you been doing your show for three years now? Going on it, yeah. So I started back in January of 2018 when uh, when you gave me a shot. Right. I don't know why, but you gave me a shot. Um, so, yeah, my show, I started the show uh, probably more from the right, obviously, coming from a Republican background. Uh, I was Mr. GOP, rah, rah, college Republicans, president. You know, it it was uh, all, you know, when you grew up in the GOP household. But then uh, I, too, like everybody else here, discovered libertarianism. I found it through Ron Paul um, in 2008. And then also, ironically enough, through Rand Paul, um, hearing him do his, his filibusters, it actually caught my attention quite a bit. So my show, um, I started my show trying to educate, enlighten, and inform. That's been my goal from day one, continues to be my goal. Um, and I've kind of adopted a newer role in recent, uh, in recent months, and I've tried to be more of a, a salesperson. And in part of in my, my day job, being the director of sales for a telecom company, part of what my responsibility is is to not only sell you know, our, our company's products, but you know, our services, but also is to hit metrics, right? And to hit statistical goals that we have in place, KPIs. And that's been part of what I've been looking to do, not only from, you know, growing the movement, but also trying to objectively find things that we can have a like a libertarian accomplishment with, right? So I've been uh, much more focused on building bridges. And I find that when we go into divisiveness with our language, that that just burns bridges. And instead of holding people accountable, as we should, we end up um, going after the person. And, and when you go after the person, you've instantly, I, I, in my experience, you've lost the credibility to build bridges in the future. So with that being said, I'm all for building bridges with folks on the left and the right. That's partly what my show has been about, is bringing people on from all different perspectives. And instead of arguing about where we disagree, having conversations and finding out where we do agree. Because I think when we find out where we agree, that's when we're, number one, we're able to coexist as we discuss as our main focus of the show today. But also, we're actually able to implement some positive solutions. So I will say I will look to my friends on the left and the right, and I say, you know, all are welcome. So for my show, that's exactly what we're focusing on is building those bridges. Um, Yeah, that's kind of, I guess, my niche in this this network now. 
Okay. Very good. And you can find his show, The Brian Nichols Show, on any podcast platform. Hody Johns, uh, you are next on that uh, list of seniority, and um, you uh, have been an, an instrumental part of the network. Uh, you may be uh, switching jobs soon, which which may uh, hurt that somewhat. But so we are we are honored to have your presence and honor all of your contributions uh, over the years. So we we love you deeply, thoroughly, and generously. Uh, Hody, you are you are you have been and are one of the best people that have ever been on the network. Uh, all of you are all all five of you, but Hody, you're just you never get into beef with anybody. Like all of like Reinhold goes Reinhold and Brian uh, Wolgamuth fight all the time in chat. Brian Brian Nichols and Ryan will go at each other occasionally. I'll fight with everybody all the time, but Hody, you don't get in fights with anybody. What's your secret? Um, I think that it's the Mormonism. <laughs> it's the magic. Yeah, well, the Mormonism helps as well. Multiple wives to help calm me down all the time behind the scenes is absolutely critical to this. Uh, no. I, I really believe that libertarianism is the philosophy of love and not necessarily the philosophy of logic. And I don't think there's anything wrong with logic, but I think that logic is always based on love. Because even if you think that liberty can be brain you can brain your way into liberty well that means there's a good chunk of the country that will never be smart enough to understand the tenets of freedom and justice and really just not just leaving each other alone because that's a philosophy of isolation but really of uh, the freedom to be a part of any community that you wish to be a part of and that's something that i think everybody can ultimately understand we say god is love and if i believe that his that his teaching leads me to liberty, then that's what it's all about. That this is something that works, and it works for all people of all intellects, races, ethnicities, religions, cultures. I think that they root themselves in God because we are all created in his image. And that is really what – I wasn't like this at first. When I first started my liberty journey, it was really more of just being smarter than you. Ha, ha, ha. And then I realized there's always somebody smarter than you that believes something differently than you. So you're never going to be able to outbrain somebody. You're going to lose the chess game to somebody who's going to be better than you. And you just sit around hoping you don't run into that person until the light, until the world is over. What you can do is out empathy anybody. Say, man, I, I really care about the environment. I really care about business. I really care about freedom. Hey, man, I care about that stuff too a lot. And I'm not going to pretend I have all the answers, but I think libertarianism has a lot to do with it. And that means being nice to each other. That means being good to each other. That doesn't mean just being peaceful. That means making peace happen. And that's really something that I've learned. The more I learn, the more humble I become. Um, I've learned so many different things from this network because I have met some libertarians that are pretty far right and pretty far left in the network. And it's been awesome to say like, man, why do you believe what you believe? Because you have a different perspective that I don't have. And the more you incorporate those, the less you're going to fight with them, the more you're going to reach out to understand them. And the more you're actually going to come together into that nice center liberty that I have achieved. <laughs> yeah, Hody really kind of articulates well what we try to achieve, and I think that's the the main motivation of people like Brian Nichols, but also Ryan Lindsay, you know, and uh, Ryan, 
This isn't I, I, I've brought you here under false pretenses. Um, as a left libertarian, we have brought you here to not so much an intervention, but as I mentioned, a military tribunal to sentence you to the brig for being so progressive that uh, and I do after I kind of introduce myself, I do um, want to start our conversation with you. Because I think you've had a terrible experience with libertarians that I think needs to be heard and understood. Um, but start with what? What do you? Be- where? What the hell do you believe, Ryan? Please explain yourself. And you're muted, by the way. There you go. Yeah. Um, so I think like the foundation of like any of my political, economic, ideological beliefs, it uh, basically comes down to. Um, a skepticism of power and not just political power, but uh, like private power, economic power, just any sort of power over others um, and egalitarianism. Um, and for me, those are the the two things I try to root myself in. Um, and I, I have a confession, like uh, I think it was you and Harry. I also at one point supported Mike Huckabee. Um, <laughs> I was in eighth grade during the 2008 election, and I went to a Mike Huckabee rally with my uncle and brought home a yard sign. Uh, I have to tell you, yeah. I, so I covered uh, the, the primary here in Indiana was very relevant in 2008, and all the major Republican figures stopped by, saw Mitt Romney, Fred Thompson, and Mike Huckabee stood out. I said, that guy is going to be, he's going to be at the front of the field because he walked in and I was the only one he couldn't shake hands with. And he made a big deal of saying, hey, man, I th- thank you for being here. Like he treated the media with such love and respect. And he was so nice, gave a great speech, was really like rooted in kind of an empathy. playing the game. Yeah, but he also had like an empathetic message too, you know, and you go, this guy is going somewhere. And then within two months, he was head of the field, but... Yeah, I, I totally get why you specifically would like Mike Huckabee. You know, it was he wasn't he wasn't dislikable. And then you know, once the debates hit, I saw Ron Paul, and I was like, oh, that's what I am. Yeah, yeah, but uh, like I said, I was only in eighth grade at the time, so yeah, I was a like, fully grown man. I really, thanks for pointing that out. <laughs> I wasn't really paying too much attention to anything. I just kind of like saw what my family watched and was like, oh yeah, I like them. But uh, yeah, so. And I really kind of started um, paying attention or like thinking for myself, I guess, um, like early 2010s. Uh, I was always raised raised in church, um, but it was like early 2010s when I started uh, kind of exposing myself to different um, like religious writers like Stanley Hauerwas and uh, John Yoder, Greg Boyd, um, and starting to really question like that um, – uh, convergence of like Christianity and patriotism and nationalism that's really common in America. And that's whenever I went from, uh, and at the time, like in my mind there, you know, you're a Republican or you're a Democrat. And that's kind of when I went, um, in my mind, like, well, like these, like all these Republicans supporting war and, you know, like, uh, being like anti-homosexuality laws and all like this doesn't jive with like my religious thinking anymore so i was just like well i guess i'm i'm a liberal now um and i would say really i first started seriously looking at libertarianism um in 2014 after uh with like the rise of the black lives matter movement after um mike brown and uh 
shoot, I feel off Eric Garner, um, after they were killed by police, um, and just seeing, cause that kind of made me realize like, you know, uh, from a, a liberal point of view, like taxing cigarettes, it's like, you know, that's great because I don't want people to smoke. Smoking's awful and kills thousands of people every year. So let's discourage it. But then it's like, well, obviously, you know, those laws have unintended consequences. And because of liberal laws, Eric Garner's dead now. Um, and so that's whenever uh, I started looking at libertarianism because it's like, you know, um, state force is uh, something that should be questioned and um, not encouraged by somebody, you know, who believes like the religious beliefs I have. Um, and at that time, it's like whenever I'm looking at libertarianism, I go to Google it and all I see is, uh, oh, Ron Paul says this and Rand Paul says this. And I'm seeing, you know, basically only like the, the right libertarianism side of things. Like that was the most prevalent information out there. So it's kind of like, well, I guess this is what libertarianism is like this is what libertarians believe so uh i, I kind of went that direction for a while um like all about uh ron and rand and all them but you know the whole time it was always just kind of half-hearted um it's like you know i am saying this stuff because uh like it seems like it's what a libertarian is supposed to believe um but it's like i don't really agree like philosophically with a lot of it like they're all talking about like um you know everything has to be rooted in property rights and it's like sure but in my mind i was like eh, like dude i don't really care about property rights <laughs> um you know and then so uh of, you brian know, brian are you okay more. sorry brian just fainted i just needed to make sure that he was okay <laughs> but yeah so eventually i i you know i kept reading more and more um and I discovered like, you know, left libertarianism and like those ideas and uh, uh, and uh, realized like, well, it's possible to reject, you know, the validity of state violence and state force while also um, keeping yourself centered on like egalitarianism and equality and uh, progressive ideals. Um, and so that's kind of where I'm at now. And I started uh you know i wanted to get involved in the libertarian movement and wall and all trying to uh i wanted to uh help establish a firm like leftist uh area in the libertarian movement and that's just been fruitless so now i'm trying to establish a libertarian area in uh, leftist circles <laughs> instead <laughs> yeah would you would you identify yourself as a left wing market anarchist like of that tradition if you were to if you were to put a label on it yeah um and like i've i've said this before but i'm not like some super i don't i don't mean this disparagingly but i'm not like a economics nerd like i don't know all the details like q1 and quantitative easing and all that's like that all means nothing to me um i just you know e economics i uh i like the ideas of you know the jubilee talked about in the bible um you know leveling the the high and the low and um just equality generally so yeah i think the the left-wing ideas of market anarchism is uh probably the most distinct way or concise way to yeah, label it. and Reinhold, there is a long tradition. I mean, the libertarian strain of thinking really came out of of the left wing. You know, f liberal ideas early on. You had um, uh, Proudhon. You had 
uh, Bakunin. You had some of these left wing Emma Goldman, who was an anarchist. It really the the ideological moorings led to being nurtured in that earliest early twentieth century through you know Mencken's publications, the Free Man. Um, and then, you know, you had Laura Ingalls Wilder, you had a- Ayn Rand, you had several different, and then it sort of the ball, ball started rolling. So libertarianism, I don't think people realize is actually a very young ideology. It's maybe a hundred, 150 years old. I mean, there, there's obviously the, the tradition that goes back to Locke and, and fighting, you know, state power, but Mill, John Stuart Mill. Yeah, Farm exactly. Right. You know, well, late 1600s, well early 1700s, but the libertarian idea, the libertarian movement really started to coalesce in the 20th century. But left-wing market anarchism had a strong position in that. It's just been overtaken sort of by – as right-wing publications like the American Mercury, the Freeman, National Review gave a place to nurture it, it became seen as a right ideology. I mean, so where does left-wing market anarchism kind of fit? Right. In that current and movement, it, it's interesting too because it's like uh, a lot of people look to Murray Rothbard, and Murray Rothbard started off courting the left, right? He started, he was trying to uh, court the new left and and uh, put out magazines. And part of the reason for the whole uh, split between Cato and and um, and Murray and and all that was because he was trying to get publications that were reaching out to the left side of the aisle. Right. So and then throughout the years, he grew more and more disillusioned with that and and then started looking to the right for um, solutions and getting people into libertarianism. And that's when he started the new fusionism. And then they started courting people like uh, Pat Buchanan. So that kind of turned the idea of uh, libertarianism being a its own separate thing and, and sort of on the left side of, of the aisle to to being you know republicans who like to smoke pot which is uh unfortunate because i don't think it's either of those things you know what i mean it's it's its own thing it's always been its own thing um the first libertarians were uh the Taoists five thousand years ago right so the idea of libertarian thought has always been around it just it wasn't called libertarianism and it's it's been very fluid in its in its kind of growth and thought processes and how does it fit into what we have these days um to to kind of coalesce around to what we have currently but as we've seen just because it's got to where it is now doesn't mean that it's not going to take 12 more paths before it goes somewhere else right so it's something that's always kind of evolving and thinking through itself to try to better itself and like some other philosophies that are more just i don't like what the other side is doing and that's the basis of their whole political thought, right? So we do a little bit different than that. So I had to ask him a, a long-winded question because I had to go to the restroom. So as you, uh, as we've mentioned on the show, you hit 37 and all of a sudden things change. Um, so yeah. for myself, I would say that, um, you know, I, I started out in politics. Like I started out in direct political action working for Republicans then moved to the Libertarians from 08 to 12. I started this program because I didn't feel that direct action politics was necessarily working. Um, have always loved politics, the actual horse race of it. Uh, and that's what we focused a lot on. But over the last two to four years, I've really started to 
dive in on more of the philosophical stuff and and when you do that when you start to really try to figure out exactly what you believe you start to reject that left right two team tribalist narrative and start to see things a lot differently um and you start to um i I look at it you know libertarians lately have kind of lost what marshall fritz who i admire immensely i was the marketing director for the advocates for self-government and David Nolan, the founder of the Libertarian Party, created the diamond chart that many of you may have seen called the world's smallest political quiz, where you um, – it was basically the left-right axis does not exist. There is economic freedom and personal freedom, and you, you are libertarian at the top, authoritarian at the bottom, more personal freedom – then you're on the left, more economic freedom, you're more on the right. Libertarians are at the top of the diamond where we want maximum personal and economic freedom. And uh, Marshall Fritz created the world's smallest political quiz and traveled around the country and uh, seeding this chart, this outreach tool, basically, to start the libertarian movement in the early and mid-70s and would stay at people's homes, literally took a year driving around the country, staying in people's houses, giving them this sales tool. He's one of the most impactful people in libertarianism that most people don't know and have never heard of, which is why we have the Upward Libertarian Activism podcast, partially to keep his memory alive and share some of those uh, activism tools and trainings that he put together. I have an incredible uh, store of things that were left to me basically uh, when the advocates kind of switched um, some of their, their tactics. But, you know, I look at it and I go, I'm at the top of the diamond. I want maximum personal and economic freedom. I'm not on the left or on the right. I would identify myself more on the right. I, you know, in terms of my political ideology, um, I am, I'm at, I'm, I'm an extreme minarchist at this point teetering on the edge of anarcho-capitalism with Harry. You know, the more you read and the more ideas, because you, you hold on to these little security blankets of, yeah, but we need this because that thing needs to happen. And then you see a good argument, and then you're like, oh, okay. And so you, you sort of uh, go through this intellectual journey, and uh, you start to evolve your thinking and change things. But I'm a Christian. I'm a, a conservative-leaning person that in that I care about community and Community is incredibly important, and traditionally the conservative movement over the 20th century tried to nurture community in the, 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 the way that people think about it. But I think that that's all kind of shifting now. You know, there, there isn't so much—it's a lot about political power, but um, We Are Libertarians is an output of my intellectual journey as well as conversations like this and giving platforms to people like Brian and Hody and Ryan and Reinhold uh, to share different ways of thinking. Um, we'll, we'll talk about sales because I don't disagree with Brian. It's just that I'm I, – I, I think that's part two of the discussion is what is the purpose of these different organizations that make up the libertarian movement, and they all have different uh, – things but we're going to talk a little bit more about how to how to coexist but i want to start with um i want to start with andrew heaton who has a great podcast he is a libertarian podcaster that was on the blaze he's a comedian he's it's called the political orphanage it's very good this is a short clip and he t- he identified in his culture wars episode which was excellent 
five types of political conversations. And I think that this is a good framing for our discussion today, wherever it might lead, um, because part of the problem within the libertarian movement, but society at large, is that we're trying to have different conversations. So Hody and I had disagreements on Kyle Rittenhouse because I think we were having two different conversations. I was going, there isn't need for armed guards on the street because we have the National Guard, there's existing systems. And Hody was arguing, yeah, but you have the right to. The philosophical moral case is, I'm like, I don't disagree. But we felt like we were disagreeing with each other, even though it felt like we were having two different emphasis or st- uh, conversations around things, you know? And so I think that's that's sort of what the Dave Smith conversation was about. Like, all right, here's my emphasis. Here's where you're at. Here's where I'm at. And th- th- there's different uh, styles. There's different types and there's different strategies. So without further ado, here is the short clip identifying the five types of political conversations. There are five types of political conversations. There is policy, which is pretty rare. Most people don't actually want to sit down and look at graphs and read white papers and, and things like that. It's it's pretty research heavy. Most people don't really want to talk about policy. There is uh, horse trading. And I, I lump broadly into that kind of everything that amounts to sort of the sports talk of politics. Speculation about who's going to win the next game. Who's going to be the draft pick for president? What's the scandal going on? Who slept with which intern? All that kind of stuff. It's fun. I, I like I like horse trading. And I think that there's a, a really smart dimension to it as well, which is tactics. Third type of political conversation, you've got philosophy and ideology. You know, what are the values? What are how how ought the world to be? Policy is what should we do? Philosophy is what ought we do? Then there's heuristics, which I cover a lot on the program. That's getting into how people think. Not necessarily who's right or who's wrong, but how they arrived at the logic and viewpoint to get to their conclusion. It's, it's concerned with the, the, the mental rubric that people employ. I really like that. I think that political cognition is fascinating. And the fifth and final political conversation, which dominates political discourse far more than the prior four that I just mentioned, is yay team, boo team. It's my team is the good team. Your team sucks. And anything we talk about, if we're in that framework, is just ammunition to anecdotally evidence the evil of the other team. So here at We Are Libertarians, we have many different styles. You know, I tend to think about heuristics and the horse trading and uh, how we think about things. How should we approach these things? You you heard Ryan's focus is a lot of times it's power. It's how is the relationship between the individual and these institutions? What's the relationship and dynamic there? Brian was was sales, you know, how, how can I sell you on these ideas? And, and so everybody kind of has different styles around things. Do, let me open it up to the rest of you. Do you think that part of our issue, do you agree with my premise that part of our issue is that we are cross-talking using different styles? Brian? Nichols? Yes and no. So I think... It's a matter of 
this goes to, I think, a fundamental issue with libertarians in general is that it's like herding cats, right? Like libertarians and, and Ryan actually kind of hit the nail on the head when he said, like, he questions power. Right. And I think sometimes libertarians confuse questioning power with questioning leadership. Leadership is needed. We, we absolutely need to have, you know, one cohesive vision, right, of what the goal is. So like think, and I know people hate to do this, but like think of a successful corporation. The reason a, a successful corporation is successful is because they have a, a mission statement. And in that mission statement, there is a well laid out goal for the entire company. Now the entire company is going to have multiple different factions of, of people within that company who are all doing different roles. You have your accounting folks, you have your HR folks, you have your marketing folks and sales folks, you have your engineers behind the scenes, you have your maintenance folks. And every single part of those people are, are, are those roles are important for the overall success of that company. But at the end of the day, everybody's going towards that main goal, that main mission statement. So I think part of the problem has been that our mission statement has been a little scattered. And I think it's important for not just we as a network, but I think it's also important for we as a, a larger libertarian movement to say, what is our mission statement? Whether we want to you know, coalesce with certain people within our movement or not, we have to acknowledge that right now we, we are not in a position to be making ultimatums because we're, we don't have the, the numbers. So I would dare say it's it's yes, we might be not talking like we're talking past each other, but it's because instead of looking at the different voices and the different approaches as necessary needed approaches, we're looking at them as competition. Right. So if you're an engineer, let the salespeople sell. That's OK. But once the salespeople sell, now it's on the engineers to make this shit work. And the problem is, is that we have far too many folks who think that they're the salespeople out there who are actually engineers. And, and listen, everybody has the role. I'm all for it. But at the same point in time, if we're not going to, to understand and like be self-aware enough, which I mean, libertarians and being self-aware, but I repeat myself, like we have to at least have some personal responsibility and understand what we're, our main goal is. And if we're not, then I'm going to say, like, what's the point of all this? Right. So, like, are are we actually trying to just be right or are we trying to actually advance things and make things better? And I think we can do that by having everybody become the very best at their respective areas that they are good at. And it's not to say one is better than the other. It's saying that we need each person to do each of those roles as best as they can. So we can get the, not only the best out of them, but then when we're reaching out to new people, we're putting our best foot forward. And, and right now we're not putting our best foot forward because we have so many different voices. I mean, part of what set me off this past weekend or this past week, what is today? Yeah, today's Saturday. So you know, what happened this past week with the Libertarian National Committee doing that reply tweet, it wasn't a matter of what was said. And, then, and for reference, it was to Rand Paul when he was on the street um, and they said, oh, don't spook him. You'll scare him in a response to a Conan O'Brien tweet, which is fine. Like you want to go ahead and tweet that. But as the Libertarian Party, like official account, what are we doing? Like, are we trying to actually build bridges and enact libertarian policy with somebody who's easily the most libertarian senator that we've had when in the past like hundred years and actually enacting libertarian policy for all of his flaws? Or do we want to be right and feel like, ha, we got him because we were right. Like, I, I, I don't see the value in us casting stones at people that we can have as potential allies, call them out for when they're wrong. But when you start like making fun or poking fun, I wrote an article <laughs> I, got, I wrote an article two years ago, and I got so much shit for it. It was called Stop Making Fun of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Remember this, Chris? Mm -hmm. I wrote this article, and people gave me so much shit because I said when you make fun of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, 
All you're doing is you're emboldening her supporters because when you embolden her supporters, they're going to say, listen, they're not just making fun of her. They're making fun of you as her supporters. And the same thing is true for Trump. The same thing is true for Republicans. And guess what? The same thing is true for libertarians. We all rightfully got so pissed off when Gary Johnson got hit with a where's Aleppo. We still get pissed off when people bring up um, James, James Weeks running on stage naked and rightfully so, because that was labeled to represent the entire movement. So when we as libertarians start to take the actions that we disagree with of certain people and then label that on entire movements, how does that make us any better? So then I go back to my main point. What are we doing here, right? If our goal is to actually advance libertarian principles and make liberty win, right? Like for like you young, young Americans for liberty, make liberty win. What an amazing like slogan that is because that's what we should be doing. Like Right now, if we want to stay in our Facebook groups and be right all the time, good. I'm sorry, though. I won't be a part of that. I, I don't want to just be right. I want to see people live a freer life. Like, that's something that I think we should all objectively be looking for as, like, a metric for success. And until we have that metric for success in our mission statement, we're just going to be shooting arrows all over the place because we don't have one cohesive vision that we've agreed to. Yeah, that's right. Finger guns away, Harry. Like, we don't have that one cohesive vision of what our end goal is. Would so you, would you that, not, I think – Would you not – could you not argue that the the non-aggression principle is that mission statement? It is that one thing that I mean, Ryan is shaking his head in disagreement with a lot you're saying, but that's the one thing that the two of you agree on, I would assume. I think I think we have to have more voices than not. Right. So Ryan is and Ryan, correct me if I'm wrong. Right. We may disagree on some fundamental key issues, right? So I believe that non-aggression, but also a support of property rights is fundamental for a true libertarian society now i'm agreeing with you when you talk about you know the vision of what like should be but don't let perfection be the enemy of progress and of good right we're getting and objectively speaking i think this is the one thing too that drives me crazy is that we are not being objective in looking at where we have come from and where we are now and then relative to the rest of the world are we perfect no. Do we have a long way to go? Yes. But to constantly be focusing on the negative, selling negative is a losing strategy, no matter what. I dare you to go ahead and find one company who has had a successful long-term strategy to sell a negative versus trying to sell a positive future. If you are not selling something that's a positive vision for the future, you're, you're, you're losing instantly because everybody's looking for that positive vision of tomorrow. If we're constantly focusing on the negatives, 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 you're going to get tuned out. So to Ryan, to the, the point, I think we need to have more voices like Ryan, and, and I, I encourage that. I've had Democratic Socialists on my show. I mean, I had a guy running for New York State Assembly who was an avowed Democratic Socialist. He's a Bernie bro delegate in New York State. I had him on my show. We disagreed. We have fundamental disagreements, but we had a conversation, right? And part of my goal was to just point him towards liberty, whether that's the non-aggression route or the property, route, route, uh, property rights route. We can have that debate in libertarian circles, but that should not be the focus of our energy because that focus of our energy, like what, 3% of Americans even know what the non-aggression principle is? It's not on people's minds. You have to have a conversation that people are currently having in their own minds. And if you're not having that conversation, they're going to tune you out. For example, Chris, if I were to call you and say, hey, Chris, I got a great timeshare down in Florida. If you're like more worried about getting the tires in your car replaced because they were stolen in your parking lot again, that's going to be the last thing on your mind. I need to have the conversation asking, hey, Chris, you know, I'm calling from XYZ company. 
And I'm like, you know, how have things been? Oh, you know, yeah, I just had my tires taken off my car. Oh, well, here, let me talk to you about that. And we can go have a conversation that's focused on you, right? And that's the problem is we're not focused on having a conversation that's impacting people directly where they're at. So to Ryan, if Ryan goes out and finds people who they are focused on non-aggression, have those conversations, bring them in, pique their interest, right? And then bring them in. And then it's on, I go back to my, my silly analogy of the engineers. Now it's the engineer job to help teach, educate, bring out those white papers, help us bring them and make them better libertarians. And then we can have that conversation about, is it property rights versus non-aggression? But you know what? We have to at least have that conversation and bring them in to engage in that dialogue. First. Here's my pushback on the messaging argument, though, is that the people who constantly bitch about the messaging, which I'm with you on the LP tweet. Like part of the problem that I've always said to Reinhold on this show a million times is that if you're constantly bitching about Trump, then when it's time to impeach him, people are so worn out because they've the media has focused it's fatigue. on it's fatigue. Matt Taibbi wrote a great article that I highly recommend. We tweeted it out where, you know, Donald Trump never intended to govern, but neither did the Democrats ever intend to let him govern. And the media didn't intend to let him govern. And that led to this polarization because both sides really governing doesn't matter anymore. It's all about owning each other. Um, But part of the as a person who tries to kind of bridge the gap, when I hear the messaging argument from from various libertarians, I just kind of go. What I hear is that you want your message to be the only message and you're not willing to give space to somebody like Ryan because um, I'll let you retort, Brian. But, you know, what we've experienced with Ryan here at We Are Libertarians is twofold. Never had more women, never had more people of color, never had more Democrats engaging in our content and saying right on. Thank you for not being that other message. Um, but we've also had an extraordinary amount of alt-right adjacent libertarians basically sending Ryan just some of the most obscene, awful things you can imagine, which really drove him to be very peevish, and and uh, which he can talk about in a moment. But, Brian, so often I hear that messaging and that sales, and, and, and I wonder where does space to have differing opinions from some of those fundamental arguments come in? Well, I mean, it starts with us, right? So it starts with us not uh, being the ones engaging in bomb throwing. So, and, and candidly, I mean, if we're going to really you know, talk about why there was this issue, it was you know some of the content that we were sharing from the big We Are Libertarians page that was not focused on building bridges. And that's been part of the thing that I had the, the biggest um, the biggest issue with. And I think if you're going to put your, your name to it, right? So like, let's say, for example, like, the Brian Nichols show, if I'm sharing content that I think is going to be at all possibly inflammatory, I'll post it as the Brian Nichols show because I don't want that to be the representative of the entire network. The entire network is different. Um, and I want more of those voices. And to your point, Chris, we're bringing more of those voices in. And Ryan is a big integral part of that. But it's also based on the people that we're talking to. So to Ryan's point, Ryan wants to bring libertarianism to the left, and I encourage that. We need to do that because they need to hear a different perspective. But but we also have to remember what is the entire, like, we are libertarians network. Is it the voice of just the left? Is it the voice just of the right? Ryan went and looked for 
alternative voices than Rand Paul and Ron Paul. And I dare say that the people that we're bringing in, who've, they've also been looking for those different voices. So just to have Ryan have a voice on the network is a positive. But it also comes with responsibility, I say. And that is, you know, and I, and I am the first one I need to do better as well and not being someone who can be inflammatory and to try and build more of those bridges to people who are going to be allies on key issues. And I say that specifically talking about Rand Paul, because in the past few months, Rand Paul has been one of the biggest targets from the rioters, not the protesters. And I also think it's very indicative on us to make sure we are being held responsible in differentiating between the two, because it's it's very disingenuous to lump them in as one group from both the left and the right, because then it just negates any conversation going forward. But with that being said, Rand Paul literally wrote the damn bill of the Breonna Taylor Act, right? Say her name. And yet they were screaming at him to say her name. And it goes to, okay, what's, what's the goal of that group of people? Why are we, as we are libertarians, trying to reach out and appeal to people who are basically showing 1,000% they are not being good faith rational actors? Because if you're screaming, say her name to the man who wrote the bill, that instantly tells me that you are not a serious person and you're literally the the personification of the meme. Here's a solution. No, I don't want to. I just want to be mad. Okay? And I'm sorry. I don't want to be reaching out and specifically focusing on people who aren't going to be having good faith conversations. Because the only way that we advance beyond our little libertarian circle jerks is if we go out and actually talk to people, have real good faith conversations, and build bridges with people who can agree with us on fundamental principles. And if they can't, it's on our job to convince them. But we don't convince them by tearing down other allies. That's not how we do it. That's not successful. And that's a very losing strategy. I I don't know that I don't know that I ever shared anything that was anti-Rand Paul or or any. I mean, did you, Ryan? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I, so, what I, what what do you say to Brian's yeah. critique? Uh, well, I guess I don't know. I I feel like, well, just sticking with the topic of Rand Paul, like I would honestly just saying like presenting Rand Paul as some sort of like like the most libertarian person in Congress or some libertarian icon or hero like to people on the left like that is very I don't know like inflammatory is not the right word is he probably, not an ally though Ryan I mean whenever you're calling like you're, you're talking about somebody who opposes legalizing marijuana at the federal level supports more border restrictions uh he's you know, constantly licking Trump's boots, calling somebody like that, like this, presenting him as like some libertarian hero. I was like, why? Like, why? Well, I don't know. Him, so I, th- I think that's the thing, though, is that don't confuse promoting somebody who is an ally on certain issues to it versus going after that person. And I go back to the point, if if we were to be a libertarian page specifically going after Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, not on her policies, but on her on her person, right? I would be like, no, that 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 what what's how is that productive? Because there's gonna be a there's gonna be some key issues that we as libertarians can agree with a democratic socialist on. So when we go to enter in those conversations with her in the future, if we've been, you know, trolling her and calling her names and encouraging vile remarks on her, do you think she's gonna have a conversation? The same is true. Now, and I say this because 
I mean, literally, I'm, I'm a couple like people away from literally reaching out to Rand Paul. Like I can have that conversation. And if we ever want to have somebody like a Rand Paul be an ally and promote things that we agree with him on. So, for example, when we're talking about ending no knock rates, like that's a libertarian position. And Rand is a voice leading that charge. How does it behoove us to then go after the guy who's helping write the no knock raids bill to end that? And then when we try to build bridges in the future, he's going to look at us as a negative. Do you see the, like how that, from my perspective, that's going to be a very like big fundamental roadblock in the way of us actually progressing our message forward? Well, yeah, but I mean, like you said, well, you brought up AOC, like if we're always attacking her like personally, but nothing I just said about Rand was a personal thing. Those were all policy things. Um, so I'm saying like there's so much you know to critique about Rand policy wise. So like, why hold back on that just because he? But it wasn't policy though. So like, when when you it posted was, about was. He the, the mob federal marijuana league. No, no, I'm talking about the posts you did. He so opposed. Post. So the post that you posted, I'm referring to, was the one where there uh, Rand Paul's uh, walking uh, back uh, to his let, hotel. Let me jump in said, here. Let me jump in no, here. I, I, okay. All right, because there's there's uh, some shades to this. I I want Ryan to be heard when he says. Because, Brian, you and I had this conversation privately, and I'll say it out loud here. Like, And I'm the worst of all of this, right? Like, I'm the one that doesn't tag anything. And I, I tend to think that um, sometimes a quick provocation will make people think. Now, in the comments, people don't think. They react to it. But if you highlight a hypocrisy or an intellectual error in a quick way sometimes people will kind of be jarred out of that way of thinking. And there's a problem on the right specifically that you're going to catch an idea virus, you know, and we are on the farthest end of the acceptable right as a libertarian movement. And so we are more comfortable with a Nick Fuentes being interviewed than a Ryan being interviewed a lot of times. I disagree with that. I I fundamentally disagree that I think that libertarians have approached that as the accepted answer. I don't think if you go into like true libertarian circles that that's the case. Because if you were to have somebody like a Tulsi on, on like, and I know you're referring to Dave Smith, if you were to have Tulsi on Dave Smith, there wouldn't be the same pushback. And obviously it's because Tulsi is not going to be as controversial when it comes to the race stuff. And I'm on board with you guys on that. Like we can call that stuff out for what it is. But again, I think it's dangerous for us to start Hold on, you you blurred out there. Um, no, but I think Ryan's point of constantly pushing Rand Paul or the anti-leftist message of the right right now, the MAGA crowd, is fundamentally offensive and inflammatory to many people, to basically 60% of the country, 50, 50% at least. And so that... Brian, I think you completely fell out. Um, you know, and I think Ryan, that's part of what Ryan is trying to say is that there, there isn't balance. Uh, Ryan, hold, jump in here while we're, we're waiting for him to, uh, to jump in. Well, I did want to kind of bring up a little bit too, is that we can do all this building bridges things and trying not to offend people that may be our allies at some point, but at the end of the day, that starts muddying the waters of what the message is, too, because now you have people like Donald Trump saying that, well, Rand Paul says I'm kind of libertarian. 
Yeah, so. I want. Hold on, I want Brian to hear that. Um, Ryan, uh, part of the the issue here is social media is not a great way to have a political conversation. Um, how much do you take responsibility? I mean, for for some of that incendiary, because I think your experience and I experience it too, and I think Dave Smith kind of talked about it too, like. When you wake up every day and everybody's mad at you all the time, you fundamentally start to dislike the people that are being awful to you. And you <laughs> stop, you kind of stop seeing them as people to have a conversation with and start seeing them as people that are aggressively being terrible. I mean, talk about some of the messages that you get. Oh, God. Um, yeah, well, okay, I'm going to do a flashback to back to 2019. But it was uh, like the very first issue of Wall Reader that we put out, and we had that uh, article about um, libertarian socialism. I didn't even write the thing, um, you know. I just published it, and you know, people just like so many people on the right just see the title, and they're immediately like, you know, why is this guy like think he's a libertarian? Why is he on Wall? Why is he, you know, et cetera, et cetera? And basically, my relationship with the right has been like that was the peak. It's been downhill from that it's just gotten worse um uh man where was i going with well that? my my point was and i will repeat it for brian's sake he's back um yeah sorry internet no. died i'm here now part of the i think the problem that i'm experiencing that ryan goes through that i think um dave smith sort of alluded to is that when you wake up every day and you open up your internet and you're being beaten over the head by a certain group of people you start to it, it's Obsession's not the right word. It's irritation, and you're just like, all right. Mute. Hit the mute button. It, it, it's, uh, and, and respectively, like, I, I, I hate to interrupt. That's literally what I've had to do in, in everything. I've had to hit the mute button because otherwise, like, if negativity is just going to breed more negativity, not just in your interactions online, but in your own personal life. Like, I can't control what other people are going to do in their reactions. So why would I let that change the way that I'm going to interact with them? Turn off, just, just turn it off. And then, honestly, I found just getting out and doing what we talk about every day, just talking to real people, like getting offline and engaging in your communities, talking to your coworkers. Like, I know it's hard in the era of COVID, but like just to get out of like what we consider to be real life, get off of Twitter. I'm notorious for being on Twitter a lot, but like just to talk to real people, it's so much more refreshing. And, and if you don't, if you don't let the the negative comments like feed your, the way that you perceive it, like, I know it's tough, but like, I think it's, an, it's, it's almost important for us to take that responsibility to like go out of our way to turn off those, those negative, you know, those negative uh, voices that are out there because just more, if we're going to let it foster inside, it's going to be like a cancer. It's just going to keep festering. And then it leads to these boiling over points where we feel we have to use this hyperbolic rhetoric or this, you know, sensationalism to reach people because we think that's the only way we can break through. Yeah. All right. So let me read this from Paul Lopez and then give Ryan a chance to give him the floor a little bit. Uh, I don't agree with Ryan on certain issues, but I refuse to insult him. However, he does have a tendency to react in a very negative manner. Um, Ryan, react to that. And how did you get to that point? <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, like going back to what I was saying, like whenever I, I don't even write, I just publish something like, hey, libertarian socialism exists and the right is just freaks out about that and then you know i'm writing like i i go from writing 10 page articles trying to you know explain my ideas and flesh them out and then people just read the headline don't even care it's like why am i putting all my time and effort into this 
like trying to meet the right halfway. Like, why am I? Why? Why even? Like t- this morning, I posted a meme on the wall page making fun of Bernie Sanders, poking fun of him for how he voted for the '94 crime bill, and all the comments are just like. Ryan's a lefty. Why is he posting that? Why am I even bought? Like, why even try to meet these people halfway? Like, they don't care. So, I, I don't know. For me, it's just like they're not going to be. They don't care about what I say. Um, they're not going to be on my side. So I might as well not water down my message and say what I actually think. Which I think is um, a key part. Uh, uh, I'll go to you next, Brian. But. Sort of where I'm at is that, again, with the messaging stuff, and then after, Brian, you respond, Reinhold, I want you to jump in and say what you were kind of talking about because I want Brian to hear it and react to it. When you, when you talk about what we're doing here, I've forever kind of been under that, uh, that, that assumption of we ought to just say, we ought to tailor the message. you know. And at a certain point, I think in this past year, We've gotten to a point where it's not how you say it that is the problem. It's that you have a differing opinion, and it doesn't matter. And what Ryan's saying is that there are a lot of people on the right who don't have good faith. And that a lot of times the messaging argument is about tailoring to the right because they're more likely to help us. When I've got 20 years of experience of those people looking at me and going, Mm, here, pulling the loose, the Lucy football out from under you, you know. So it's sort of like at a certain point, choosing to suck up to the Republicans or choosing to suck up to the Democrats with messaging is a pyrrhic victory because at the end of the day, you're not going to win. You might as well just say exactly what you think and stand on principle, like Ron Paul did, and let the chips where they may. Because there are a lot of people who are in these two camps that have no good faith and falling for it on the right or falling for it on the left is just, it's a waste of time. Um, I don't think it's both. I don't think necessarily it has to be one or the other though, Chris, because I mean, you, you can go after Republicans as a collective while still supporting individual Republicans who do good libertarian things. So again, like I'm all for when, like well, Ryan, when he says he goes, he went after uh, Bernie Sanders for voting for the 1994 crime bill. Like, yes, and when Rand Paul does non-libertarian policy, we 1000% have the right to be critical of him. But to just like mock him when he's walking back from his uh, from the DC or White House to his hotel for being stormed by an angry mob, that's that's different, right? And and that's the the point I'm trying to make is that yes, you can say what you you believe. And I I don't think there's anybody in our network that discourages people from saying what they believe. It's the way that we're saying it because I mean, I, I do think it's important also to, to know our market, right? Yes, we have grown our market to the left, and that's great. But then I want to ask you, at, at what point are they going to jump off the ship, right? Because respectfully, I mean, Ryan, you, you started when we started the show off today. You said that one of your main things that you were not on board with was economics from a left standpoint. And, and, and candidly, you said a lot of it's just because you don't really dig into it that much. So I think if you were to dig in more economics, you might find that you – dig more to the right just because i mean everything in life kind of boils down to economics in some way shape or form but i regardless so going back towards my main point is that if we were to encourage more voices and if we were to encourage more healthy dialogues i i don't see how that's a negative and i also think it's encouraging us to to grow the movement beyond just you know the right and the left but also knowing our market and focusing on people who are going to be our allies when we do come down to like, okay, if we want to go to Ryan's model, like it's going to 
either be government's going to help, you know, help promote equality or not. And like, that's a fundamental conversation we can have. And when we get to that point, but we're not at that point yet. Does that make sense? Ryan. I guess I, I don't understand your, the last question you're asking, like, we're not at the point of what? So like we, we as a movement, right? We are not at the point to be making such bombastic statements against people that like, if we're actually trying to build like coalitions, right? So like you're trying to build coalitions from the left. I agree with you. But then I would ask, you know, are we at a point as a movement that we can compromise a certain group of the movement's principles in bringing in new people when there is a fundamental disagreement from that standpoint? And I would argue, and I'm, I don't mean to kind of extrapolate the question more, but like I would say that's part of the argument from the more right libertarian is that, hey, when you get to talking about economics with folks who are like, we'll say generically on the right, like conservative, right? We can probably convince them to Austrian economics and we can, we can convince them to economic freedom and and personal freedom as it pertains to that. Right. I don't, I think we are going to have a much harder time in convincing our friends on the left to go to an economic freedom route, because I think that that will be a fundamental like point in the sand where to Ryan's point, that's where it's going to be, is it property rights or versus non-aggression, right? And that's fine. And that's my point is that we can have that debate, but I don't know if it's investing the, the resources. Again, if we're looking at this as, you know, we are libertarians, the corporation, are we investing the resources and going after the right market? Like if I'm selling a product, right, I'm going to make sure that the product that we're focusing on like all day long is the one that's selling the most. And then we're going to have the accessory products that are there as well to be those niche markets that are going to catch People who are looking for those niche things, it's going to catch their eye. But your bread and butter is going to be what you're promoting on a daily basis. And I think the bread and butter I, – I, I'm sorry. I think it's, it's very fair to say that a majority of the people who are predominantly from the right, we can convince in our arguments for a more just free across the board. I just think we are going to have a more of a problem when it comes to doing that for economics of the left. Am I wrong? I mean, well, but you're assuming that you have to have like that – right-leaning or like Austrian economic foundation to be a libertarian. But in my mind, like libertarianism and Austrian economics are two completely separate things. Like they can mesh together, but they don't have to. Like you can be a hundred percent opposed to Austrian economics and still be fully libertarian. So why are you trying to convince leftists who embrace Austrian economics? No, no, no. Let me rephrase. It wasn't that. So maybe I didn't phrase it right. So it was more so, you're, you approach left-wing economics, Ryan, from a very different perspective than your traditional person on the left approaches economics. So it's like you're speaking the right language. Like you're speaking a libertarian economic message from a left perspective, which is weird to say out loud in my own words, but that's you. That's fine. But to your average person on the left, they aren't hearing you saying that from a libertarian perspective, they're hearing the way that they perceive left-wing economics. They hear it through the Bernie Sanders lens of more government spending. They hear it through that lens of, you know, you're going to solve equality by doing this government program. Yes, it's on you to challenge them and change their mind. But I, I think when you're focusing more so on the hyperbolic attacks on things that those conversations aren't getting had. So then when those folks come into the movement, they are, they're like taken aback at what we actually like are trying to promote in, in your left-wing economic view. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes, I think so. <laughs> I, I, I okay. agree with you in that the hype, 
the hyperbolic part doesn't work. The internet in general incentivizes outrage. And I will tell you as a major page owner in early 2018, when they changed Facebook pages, your ability to grow or, or get any engagement on anything ended unless you pay them on Facebook. Twitter drives absolutely no traffic, maybe two clicks. It's, it's a complete waste of time in terms of driving any traffic, views, clicks, whatever. Facebook is the 800-pound gorilla unless you, you are using another platform like a podcast or, or email. Facebook incentivizes outrage because in the first five minutes, you have to get clicks or likes. And it's Instagram's the exact same way. Twitter is a much more nuanced discussion. It's why I like it a lot better. Uh, the only way to get any engagement is to have something that incites or offends or critiques or whatever. Um, and so your natural and and I would say that as as a it's not that that's my goal, but it becomes your incentive structure over a long period of time as you do this. You're, the whole goal of building an audience is trying to rally people around something, and it, that there is. And I've I've talked to to multiple people over the years about this about just shutting down all of our social media, which I've been talked out about uh, because we have a hundred thousand Facebook likes, twenty thousand on Instagram, but it doesn't jive with the general feeling of the podcast. And I don't find it to be necessarily positive because you can't have the kind of conversations on social media that you can have here. And so there's, there's zero room for nuance on social media at, at, at all, you know? And so I think that's the part where um, I think your critique is right, Brian. Uh, I want to give the other three a chance now to kind of hop in here um, because Reinhold's just, beside himself uh and then we'll we'll give hody and harriet a chance um what are some points where, where you're just kind of shaking your head reinhold i saw you making faces and you're rubbing your eyes and so um first of all this idea that libertarianism should define a single message and push that down like a top top uh, centric organization or movement seems a little odd to me because it's not, it's an individualism based movement. So having, I just to confirm, gonna... well, no, just to confirm, I didn't say that I, I'm saying a, a vision, like a mission statement, not a, a particular view, but I, like a goal. I understand that, but that's still, when you talk to libertarians in the libertarian movement, they all have different goals, right? It's not. So that's the problem though. Don't that's even my, that's my point. Yeah, but some people don't even want to engage in politics. Some people want to ignore politics and go on and just do their own thing. Other people want to court the right. Some people want to court the left. Some people want to just burn it all down, right? So at some point we have to say, okay, we need to – I kind of agree that it would be nice to come together and say as, as a maybe for the party to have a goal and and stop listening to the people who don't want that goal to happen to to interfere with that but when you talk about um being not not being insulting to the people who are our allies at some point you end up watering down the message at that to the point where you have someone like donald trump saying uh well Rand paul says i'm kind of libertarian because i didn't start a bunch of new wars and that's not the case the libertarianism isn't a set of policies right so you can't 
you can't just say, oh, we agree on these three policies, therefore he's kind of libertarian or he's the most libertarian. It's the mindset that someone has, the philosophy that someone has that makes someone libertarian or not. So I have no problem with aligning with Rand Paul when he's agreeing, when, when we're, we're at that stage of trying to enact something and getting it in place. But I hate the idea of trying to label him as a libertarian, especially when he doesn't even label himself as a libertarian. He, he opposes that idea. So why would we go out of our way to be nice to him when he's doing things that are way off the track? Like the tweet that was sent by media, by, by LP national was not that, you know, it was not intended to be, Oh, we're making fun of him for getting surrounded by people who are unreasonable. It was his reaction to it. Don't spook him or he's going to go authoritarian on you. But, and that's what he did. He oh. tried to call out the FBI to get these people arrested without due cause. Just the fact that you have to explain that show scared. shows how what a losing argument it was, not, and that's my point. I'm not, but I'm not saying it was a good tweet. I'm not saying it was made well. But, but that's the, the point. The Libertarian we, Party has – there's way too many of these excuses. Like why are we spending all this time excusing away actions from the party? That I'm sorry. Like that is an inexcusable tweet that somebody from LP National thought that the third largest political party should be entering into a political conversation in that way, in such a hyperbolic way that our only sitting U.S. congressperson and Justin Amash had to go out of his way to actively show that that was not a good tweet from LP National, condemn it, and only then did it get deleted. I'd, I'd also push and back if, that. If, if, hold on. I, been, hold on. I'd also push back and say that you're on your third attack, <laughs> second attack like, as Rand Paul. Yeah. Like, I'm at, I imagine shot at, I would like, overreact. I would probably overreact, no. too. I, I, no, I understand his overreaction. I, I mean, I would rather he overreact in a way that's not using his power of position to try to, you know, violate people's rights. But you have to understand, too, that nobody cared about that tweet until certain people who got offended by it because it was particularly attacking Ron Paul made it a, a big thing. Nobody saw it. Nobody cared about it until that time. And then it blew up. And then now everybody is seeing it. It's the Bette Midler effect. That's not the right? point. That's not the point, though. The point well, is that somebody tweeted it. One person. Yeah, yeah. But if one person. If it's also the Streisand effect, you racist. Nazi libertarian. We're way we're 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 we've got bigger bigger much bigger problems, right? If that one tweet, if somebody goes, oh, I saw this tweet and they insulted Ron Paul, therefore I'm not going to vote for George Jorgensen. Uh, I'm going to vote for all right. Uh, let me let Donald me Trump. let me stop here because I don't want to spend my life arguing about the, the LP Twitter because the LP Twitter made a shitty joke that wasn't defensible, yeah. and we, we are Streisand affecting it. But it's it's like if you're expecting good tweets from the LP National Twitter at this point. You know what? I can't help. But why don't we hold them to hold on? Why don't we hold our own political party to a higher standard? Like Reinhold, that's the part that's driving me crazy is that if we're not going to hold our party to a higher standard, then how do we expect the American electorate to give us any sense of uh, any credibility? Because there's there's a bit of fatigue here. Let me hold on. Let me explain it. it. There's a bit of fatigue because the same people who are upset about the tweet who will hold the Libertarian Party to the highest exacting standard possible, will then excuse any behavior from Donald Trump most of the time. And so you just roll your eyes and just kind of go, like, there's two different standards, uh, you know, that you're employing. And and it just becomes exhausting when everybody's outraged about everything all the time. And I think there... 
there's also a bit of history here that's being left out of the equation between the Pauls and the Libertarian Party. There are a lot of longtime libertarian people, and this is what I tried to explain to the Mises Caucus because they don't understand the history or the – and there's a lot of new people that don't get this, right? If you are a longtime libertarian person, you have a chip on your shoulder towards the Pauls, towards the the more Mises right-wing libertarian – because of the way that you've been repeatedly treated over 40 years by the the Rothbardian crowd. And so there is, in a lot of libertarian circles, not a lot of uh, sympathy or empathy for anybody with the last name Paul because of their behavior. But that's not talked about because we all just praise the, the Ron Paul, Rand Paul all the time. And that's sort of what Ryan is saying and what Dennis is saying, or excuse me, Reinhold, um, is that there is a sense that it doesn't matter how you feel or what you think about these people. Shut your mouth. Be quiet because you're hurting the movement by criticizing Ron Paul. Instead but Rand just endorsed Gary Johnson in 2018. Like, I, I see that argument, but in, and I'm going to give some pushback. Is it not fair to say that we are engaging in the same behavior that we are accusing the other side of behaving in because we're, we're focusing on these quarrels of the past. Like respectfully, I understand Reinhold's experience in the movement. I understand. And I, I really appreciate all of our history in the movement, but like, should we not be trying to move forward past those? And that's why I'm saying like, stop looking at using these little old past divisive reasons as justification for why we're doing things now. Like it's not a justification. I, it's asking people to understand the experiences of others that's right. what that's what i don't that's what you th both, that is but that's no if you start talking about race or if ryan writes an article promoting aoc and her allyship on libertarian principles go look at the reaction to that it doesn't matter what it doesn't matter how libertarian or thoughtful ryan has been on some of these issues it's just that there are people who don't give a shit about anybody mm -hmm. else's experiences except theirs and so you just – if you mention race – Then they're not our instance, market. We're not talking to them then. It, right. But that is 51 percent of the country. So you – again I – I disagree. I don't think it is 51 percent of the country. They're, they're, I would say there is a vast majority of Americans out there who are politically apathetic for the sole fact that they have looked at the traditional two-party system and they have been so, so discouraged. And they feel that there is no hope in the two-party system. And then it's indicative on the Libertarian Party, and if we're going to talk about the party goals, to be that alternative and speak to those other people who aren't being spoken to. That's our market. All right. Let me have Hody and – Hody, I don't, think you've, I don't think you've said anything the whole show or Harry. So Hody and Harry, jump in here. What stood out to you? Let's start with Hody. You got to unmute yourself, bud. Ah, I'm back. Hey, guys. Uh, we are talking past each other a little bit. And one of the issues is that we don't feel represented. And this is very common. This is something that I learned from like a relationship book. And I find it still helpful for political discourses, because what we say is we don't feel well represented. What, what will happen is we'll say, well, I find AOC sympathetic. Well, I find Rand Paul sympathetic. They both have libertarian policy points. Neither of them have libertarian mindsets. Right. And so what will happen is we'll say, well, OK, I'll speak up when they attack Rand Paul. I think. Most of us agree that that was a stupid tweet, right? Making fun of him. 
But how many of those same people spoke up when the LP National was just taking crack shots at AOC for like a year straight, right? Like, it's funny, kind of. And the Rand Paul tweet was funny, kind of, if you have the same mentality. So it's a matter of consistency when we say we don't have, when we don't want people to have biases, right? I really, I really think it's important for people to see both sides of you. If you have a complete libertarian mindset, it's important for you to say, you know what? I'm not going to make excuses for damaging property. I'm not going to make excuses for hurting people. I'm not going to make excuses for hurting innocent people. I'm not going to make excuses for Rand Paul's non-libertarian stanzas and AOC's non-libertarian stanzas. I will still, though, let's build bridges, praise them when they're right, give them credit when they're right. And there is some problem, I will admit, and I think here's part of the issue, is when we talk about Rand Paul and we say, well, this is Rand Paul we're talking about. And if I share a post from him, you'll get a few of the alt-lefts like being like, oh my gosh, but he's not a libertarian. He said he's not a libertarian. And a but like, it's, it's like a couple of very loud people. Whereas if we post anything positive from AOC, anything at all, like even if it's a libertarian thing, like abolishing ICE, right? That libertarians have been talking about for a while. What happens? Oh, status. You guys have gone full left. Y'all are commies now. And there's so much of it. And so here's the problem, right? Is that people feel this need for representation. This gets back to my original point here. I need to, if the libertarian party is a little bit too far right, which, you know, maybe it is, right? Based on people's comments on posts. Then what happens is to get to the center when people compromise, and this is why I talk about reading relationship books, the bad way to compromise with your spouse is to pretend you're way far over on one side because then you think the compromise is going to bring you to the center and the center is what you really wanted. So you're not arguing for your center. You're not arguing for the compromise. You're arguing for something that's like, well, I just want to do, you know, I want to play video games and drink beer with my friends for 12 hours. All right. We compromised it down to six hours. I'm such a good guy. You know, it's like, well, you, you, you actually wanted the six hours is where you started arguing. Right. And this makes its way into political discourse. When I say I want the libertarian party to end center, if we're too far right, what's get, what are our lefty friends going to do? They're going to go way far left. Because they're like, I'm trying to pull this massive rock back to the center. And it's just such a struggle and such a fight to try and make that happen. Part of it is also when we talk about spades, we're not afraid to call spades spades, right? And this goes to kind of the Kyle Rittenhouse stuff. Um, Hurting people is wrong. Damaging property is wrong all the time. The looters could loot for the next seven years and escalate it tenfold, and they will not come close to looting how much the American government has looted, right, from us. They, have not, they will not come close to the damage that the American government has looted and taken, right? And so here's the thing. We need to call spades spades. It is wrong if you are hurting innocent people, put a period on the end of that sentence. You should not be afraid to say that that is wrong. But you should also be able to recognize, and I think, Chris, this is is why we had a disagreement. And I think it's more of an agreement, but like you said, we're having two different conversations. You're identifying that people that are tearing up a gas station are a two of spades. You're recognizing that systemic racism, that drug policies, that invading their homes – 
I mean, not even just government perspective, from a culture perspective of isolation and saying, yeah, it's fine. You can you can be black, but just do it somewhere else. You can be gay, but do it somewhere else. You can be this, but do it somewhere else has a negative consequence. And that is an ace of spades compared to a two of spades. We should still be able to call them both spades. And I think it's important that we say that both things are wrong, because then if we only focus on one thing, what's the problem with Ben Shapiro, right? He's a libertarian a little bit on some issues. Again, not the mentality, but on some issues. But when you spend literally 75% of your time talking about how trans people should not identify as the gender that they want to, that's who you are in everybody else's eyes. Right. It's great that you're right about 25% of the other stuff, but that's who you are. And so I think it's important just for the sake of creating unity to say like, hey, guys, I recognize this is wrong. I recognize this is a greater wrong, but we can come together and in re- saying evil is evil. Let's not justify any of it. Yeah. So le- you mentioned the word representation, and I think that's, you know, if there is a mission statement, for We Are Libertarians, as you know, one of the Facebook users pointed out, it is We Are Libertarians helps you sound smarter while talking to your friends. If you struggle to understand politics, we explain it from an independent libertarian point of view with all of the irreverence it deserves. We toss out the screaming heads, put people before political parties, and give context to the news to make you think. And one thing that I have increasingly adopted is the idea of representation while rejecting the idea that representation means subjugation. And those are two very different concepts. And so when it comes to race, for instance, if if super I realized this during the Super Bowl two or three years ago, all of a sudden Twitter freaked out because there were black faces in commercials. There was black representation. Well, Harry's daughter deserves to see black faces like hers in commercials because it says you're an equal part of this community. You're an equal part of this nation. Right. But that doesn't mean that they're subjugating you. The the Charlottesville rant of they will replace us or they will not replace us. And I think that sometimes people, if they hear Ryan saying something about AOC or Brian saying something about Rand Paul, that that is indicative of subjugation or they're taking over. Now, what I would say to Brian, why it has become increasingly harder to coexist with a lot of people who identify right as libertarians is that their very message is that we will not coexist with you. We are taking over the party, and what you think doesn't matter, and we are going to subjugate you and shape the Libertarian Party and the Libertarian movement in our image. And so what that says to more independent, centrist, left-leaning Libertarians or people who are not necessarily of that particular ilk or podcast fandom or whatever, it it, it makes you go, I'm not going to make arguments that help you. And, Hody, that's sort of where I'm at with some of the Rittenhouse stuff. You know, with Kyle Rittenhouse, there are uh, – you were – like, I don't disagree with the principle of protecting your private property at all. I disagree with Ryan on private property and agree with Brian and and that private property is a fundamental right. But by turning him into some sort of pro-gun hero, you end up inadvertently helping Donald Trump's re-election message, which – is a person that wants to subjugate you and doesn't care about representing anybody other than him. And there are existing systems, you know, this this 93% of protests are peaceful. If you dig into the report, you see the National Guard comes in and sets stability. Part of what I believe is that 
stability is good for liberty. I found an article from when I was managing the Libertarian Party of Indiana where we, across the board in 2010, 2012, got 5 6% of the vote in Indiana across these races. The Libertarian Party was never stronger than it was under Obama with a Democratic president who was who was um, emboldening the right. But libertarian but society was fairly stable. Donald Trump is a net negative for liberty because he is so unstable. And so there is I see no value in helping reelect Donald Trump just as I see no value in helping elect Joe Biden. Right. Like there's the the Rittenhouse argument uh, that we had is that. I'm just tired of being outraged all the time. I'm tired of being upset. That's sort of why like, I look at the LP tweet and I didn't get ex- as excited as Brian did about it because it's just like I-, I only have so much outrage, you know, and I'm, I'm saving my outrage for Horizon and the public, the private prison here that killed my friend's daughter. And I'm working on trying to get him on local TV and radio, you know, like. That pisses me off that his daughter was unnecessarily killed because of private prisons here in Indiana. You know, it's like I could sit here and write this tweet and have 500 million angry people at me coming back at me. Or I could go play, you know, spend time with my family. You know what I mean? So, like, at a certain point, there is somewhat of what Brian was saying earlier. You just have to check out at a certain point. You can't weigh in on everything. You don't need to weigh in on everything. And, like, I genuinely see a lot of this, like, the, the Streisand effect of it as hurtful to the Libertarian Party because, yes, it is important to hold your party accountable. It is to call them – it is to call them out. I mean, and we do that here in trying to, to keep people accountable. But there is a certain point where the Libertarian Party is not – represented by their twitter which is why people are so mad about it is that it doesn't have a fair representation of what's truly going on just as i get annoyed when people try to present all rioters as representative of black lives matter and that entire group just as it pissed me off when the leftist media tried to present all tea partiers as the crazy gun-toting militia guy right like it individualism is at the core of everything I do. There's different individual motivations for every single thing. And so the message can sometimes become muddied from me or we are libertarians because I'm trying to look at people's individual choices and and their incentives. And why are they doing that? As opposed to just buying into wholesale, this entire total argument. And so, you know, it's the, 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 the knee jerk reaction from, people who are not on the right spectrum of libertarianism towards some of this stuff or their, compl- or their silence is just that, like, I'm not going to help somebody who wants to subjugate me or take over the party and tell me I don't matter, right? And I think that's happening a lot across the spectrum. And that's where Ryan, when he talks about race, there, God help us. I mean, the screeching with, when Ryan or I post about race and, and things that are really consistent with liberty (laughs) there's just a certain faction of people who are pissed off that you said the word black and that you said anything nice about black people and you're right brian those people are not our market and i want to make it clear that those people are not my market you know and so the people who who are tired of seeing you know that survey that we did for the liberty explained project the number one complaint about why i don't want to be a libertarian is the comments on our own facebook page from people like that you know, so there, there are, there is some method to it. But uh, you look like you wanted to jump in on 
uh, on some of that because I think the representation does not equal subjugation thing is something that needs to be clearly understood. Well, I would really quickly just also add that challenging someone is different than telling that person that they're bad, right? So I think, yes, we do have a responsibility to challenge people, but we start to become the very thing we say we do not like when we start to assume people's motives based on our assumptions of what they believe. So that's why I, I'm just going to say I think it's important that instead of assuming those motives and taking the the surface level assumptions we have, instead go towards actually having those real life conversations with people, having those in-depth conversations and looking for those kind of commonalities that we can at least build a foundation of trust and understanding and empathy upon. Because otherwise, if you're just preaching, you're, you're going to be falling on deaf ears. I'll leave it there. Harry, go ahead. Oh. So it sounds to me like a spangled, you were mostly talking about like, you only like kind of like spoon theory. Like you only got so many different spoons to discuss. Like, uh, like if you have a set number of spoons to have be mad or angry about different things and you choose what you wanted to be angry about. And honestly, that's a great way to deal with a lot of the things that come across on social media. It is be, it's a simple fact that it, there is no nuance there. It's hard to have a conversation. And that's why a lot of times I kind of stay off of it. I think the only social media I do is Instagram and I just scroll. I just scroll and just, cause I like looking at car photos. I like, you know, that's what I like looking at. It's the only thing I want to do. Uh, the, I miss the old days of the BBSs. Um, that's why I, I, I can do discord. Cause it's just, I like having like long form conversations with people and you just can't have that in um, on Facebook or Twitter anymore. I miss that. I love having like be able to have like conversations with people that I do not know because they're a friend of a friend and we're able to different see these different things and be able to come together with that. And that stinks that um, people, these big gigantic tech companies did that to social media with, you know, when they made their walled gardens, stopped, got rid of the federated code code to allow people to just communicate with people. That's why Mastodon and Toot just really like taken off for some people because they missed that. Um, the other thing I wanted to get to is the, um, when you talk about how, when so there are some times when people from different ideas of the spectrum come around and come to the libertarian buffet, pick up an issue that they feel like, wow, this is an issue I can walk off and walk off that and, and, and do something with it. That's great. That's awesome. I think the more idea is not getting behind them and say like, Hey, they're more libertarian. Like, no, this issue is libertarian. and They're doing that. It is that that we want to highlight, like abolishing ice. That's a libertarian issue because it's getting rid of federal, uh, it's getting of uh, awful federal, federal regulation. Uh, doing the no knock narrative. That's a that is a libertarian issue. You were picking up a libertarian issue, and it's like, no, this is right. Nope, that's a libertarian issue. That's one of ours. Thank you for doing that. You know, uh, you, you know, you're going to be an ally for this for this one cause. But that's it. The buck stops there. That's you know, that's where I see the the libertarian buffet that's that they people just pick up and take what they want and leave and we just need to highlight that yes you came to ours and you picked that up it's and that's where i saw like that where whole where brian and brian are coming out of each other i just think that different dis, uh, disagreement there I, but i also see the left and the right political spectrum different than most people to me personally i see it is different i will get arguments with people the way i see it but this is the only way i see it it is a to me um right is to me is a zero the number zero it's a number plane zero zero government to me that's right and everything on the left 
more government. That's the way I see different things. So it's different than everyone else's spectrum, but that's that's how my brain can only describe it. And I can understand where other people are. It's because of like the, my inner perspective. Like I'm trying to get you to the zero point, and I'm just trying to move people to zero government. You can have whatever policy you want, and we can have user fees that pays for people's health cares or pays the roads. And I like this user fee. You know, if we want a voluntary to come together to want to do stuff like that, but long as a voluntary zero government nature. Sorry, that's 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 where I'm at on the whole situation. So I I love hearing everyone else's perspective, you know. And I also appreciate that I've got to go up to update my headphones. I can't have Hody hear another <laughs> member of the Razor Headphone Caucus have a better headset than I do. Hody, you that. jump in next, but you do have quite the set on you. They're fucking huge. <laughs> yeah, I decided to get some noise canceling ones to get like a full uh, full experience. It actually like vibrates on my face when the bass. You look gets like going. Mickey Mouse, dude. It's awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know, I don't have any hair, mm-hmm. so I have to put something up here to just make it so that I, I mean, look at me without him. Oh God, put those back on. Yeah, yeah right. Oh, I mean, yeah. I need something. I know up we're all here. trying to be nice, but God. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Yeah. No, it's bad. He's got the RGB yeah. on the on the headset too. If you turn his head, Ryan has a right. Look, can you donate some hair to him, Ryan? Please, <laughs> please, please, Ryan. Uh to be twenty four again. <laughs> I'll take some beard too. I got some. There's comments of people about beard. Like, listen, I shaved Wednesday. Okay, I, you know, so I get it. Hody, go ahead and uh, so what's your reaction to that? I mean, yeah, I, I just. I, I I agree with what Harry said. I think uh, we all have we all just come from different perspectives, and we need to just do a better job of going out of our way to understand people that think differently than us. We need to make time for it. We need to make an effort for it. And here's the thing: is if you think you understand more about it, if you think about the environment, but you don't care about it more than somebody else. It's a matter of you not understanding enough about the environment, not the environment not actually mattering. Like you can say, I have it in perspective. And that person is just so whack. They care about this so passionately. Look, when so, let, let's, let's take the politics out of it for a second. If somebody's talking about the perfect craft beer, right? And they're like, oh man, here's what I love about it. And here's these little intricacies. And there's temperature to talk about. And hops and malt and just all these different aspects of it to make those perfect that perfect craft beer usually a lot of people get on board with that and say every single part of that process was so critical the kind of water that you use the kind of the the color of the bottle actually has a taste on the beer right like there's so many different different things that factor in when you make craft beer and we say man all those little parts are so cool now let's think about something like the environment or the economy or you know, just a, a very specific subject like monetary supply or or global warming. Now, a lot of people are just like, I don't know, a bunch of scientists study that stuff and they're all way above my pay grade, which is true. But it's not an excuse for ignorance, right? You should still at least be able to listen to these scientists that have dedicated years to their subject. Most of them have written a book. Most of those books are like six hours long. Do you have six hours? to listen to something that somebody has dedicated 30 years of exhaustive research towards when they say, here's the message that I want to get to you right now. I mean, we are in an age that we should not take for granted when we can say, man, I can learn everything that somebody learned about atmospheric pressure 
or quantitative easing, <laughs> right? To go back to something we were talking about earlier, right? It might not be your favorite subject, but it'll help you relate to so many more people once you understand it. And it'll help round out your philosophy once you understand it all the more. I used to just be a, you know, uh, I never denied global warming, but I, I underestimated its issues. And then I actually had a friend that I worked with way back when I worked at the bank. And she, I, I developed a friendship with her and she studied entomology, right? Little, little insects up in the mountains. And she's like, hey, look, here's the thing. Have things changed only a couple of degrees? Yes. That extends the duration of the summer here in Utah by this amount. As a result, these types of bugs because we're human beings we can adjust to temperatures i mean some people live in like negative 30 degree temperatures and then 110 degree temperatures all year long that's not the case on the microbial level right and these little insects right and so she says we've actually lost these insects they don't live here anymore because of this i'm like man i didn't even think about that and that affected the birds and then the birds not being being around affected, you know, just all these other different things. And I came to understand it more. Now, my real passion is economics. I, I love books. I'll, I'll read a books by, I'll read books by Karl Marx or Adam Smith, all the same. And I just I eat up every little bit of it. And I used to think my my root in liberty was for a while kind of based in that. And then I was like, man my perspective is so off because I just say, yeah, your stupid global warming stuff doesn't matter all that much. And then when you learn more, you care more. So I guess my really, I'm building on what Harry said here, but yeah, learn more and care more. And I think that those things are inextricably tied together because you won't say something flippant if you at least understand something that somebody has dedicated 30 years of their life towards. I dislike Karl Marx. But I probably won't say anything flippant about him because I have learned and understood and walked in his shoes. And I I get where he was coming from. I also understand enough by other people who dedicated 30 years of their life to a subject why he's very wrong. But I, I at least am able to say, hey, look, I get where you're coming from. Here's a different opinion on that subject, which is much more effective than Karl Marx, dumb He's very stupid. Hungry Santa. You know, like, yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> so the internet, then I've said this before, like you spend weeks working on something, reading a book, writing a book. You can be a 30 year expert in a subject post about your epidemiological experience. And then the internet will give you somebody that spent 0.02 seconds thinking about it going, nah, you know, like the, 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 the most current example is, and this is where I think people need to be very aware of propaganda and its effect on people because we're highly persuadable. The military, so Trump allegedly, according to The Atlantic and Jeffrey Goldberg, wrote an article where he had four sources who, who heard Donald Trump say that he didn't want to go honor those quote-unquote losers that died in World War I on the 100th anniversary in France. Now, Jeffrey Goldberg, if you, if you buy into the propaganda that all media is lying to you except the media that you like, then you don't understand who Jeffrey Goldberg is or the editorial process that that went through or the credibility that he and The Atlantic have, and you are de facto accepting the credibility of Donald Trump. Now, I look at it and I look at this situation and I go, why does Donald Trump have more credibility in the minds of some people than Jeffrey Goldberg? 
I personally trust Jeffrey Goldberg more than I trust Donald Trump. But I also recognize that Jeffrey Goldberg probably doesn't like Donald Trump, but he's probably not making it up. He pro- it, it, John Kelly is allegedly the source of it, who does have an axe to grind, and, John, and, and Goldberg may have just reported to what Kelly said he said, right? So if you don't understand journalism, if you don't understand the individual motivations of all these people, and you just wholesale buy, and this is where I've gone wrong, I've bought into the idea that all the media is wrong and corrupt. And so, therefore, anything the media says is wrong. And back to the excuses problem. How many excuses does somebody have to make for Donald Trump on a daily basis? Like, that's what I just finally kind of, like, woke up and said, like, like, how many different excuses do I have to make for this guy by just going, well, the media lies? Like, at some point, maybe the media is telling the truth. And so maybe I need to think about this from an individual perspective. I want to give Ryan and Reinhold another chance to jump in. Ryan, like... What, as we've kind of gone through this conversation, what's jumping out to you? Oh, man. Well, I I fully believe, uh, just want to say, I completely believe that Trump said that about the, <laughs> the soldiers in France. Um, it, all those, like, tell-all books that have come out about the Trump administration over the past few years, every single one of them has, uh, like, mentioned that he was having a very bad weekend on that trip. Mm. So. I totally can see him saying that. But anyway, I digress. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I think one one big thing is uh, like we, we've talked a lot about messaging and um, ideas and stuff. And it seems like a lot of it kind of goes to that um, split between like directional and uh, destination libertarianism um, and, you know, separating like the good from the perfect and all. But I, I don't know. I just feel like – a lot of like I'm just going to keep using the terms right and left because it's the simplest way to do it. But there's like totally different like philosophical foundations, and so it's like the destinations we want to get to are lots of times like completely different. Um, so it's hard for me to see how if the destinations we want to get to are completely different, how are the directions we're traveling going to be the same either? Um, like if for me, the idea of living in a society where, you know, like so many of the 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 uh, oh functions that the government handles now um, are run by like mega corporations like that sounds no better to me. Like that's just as appalling as like the public running that stuff. So like that going that direction, like that destination has no appeal to me. So going that direction has zero appeal to me either. So why am I going to just tag along for the ride and be like oh at least we both believe in non-aggression even though like you're taking me somewhere that i couldn't care less to go um so yeah and that's something else i feel like is the um a lot of libertarianism it just it seems like it's all about the tactics like regardless of what you believe or what your end goal is you're saying like i'm not going to use state force to get there um but that's just kind of like that's how I'm going to do things, but it's not really addressing what you're trying to do, um, and so and, and I think that's a big part of the divide because yeah, like all of us here agree like non-aggression is good, um, but saying like I'm going to use non-aggressive tactics to do you know X Y Z A B C all different things, um, and it, it's obviously some of our in in goals are kind of like aligned better than others. Um, but whenever like 
yeah, we're just coming from completely different philosophical foundations. We want different, like we have different uh, ideas of what an ideal society looks like. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I guess I'm concerned or kind of skeptical of the idea that just um, accepting non-aggression as good is enough to really like hold a movement together. Well, I mean, as a pacifist, it's weird to hear you say that. <laughs> Why? Uh, so is it that you don't trust other people to uphold their end of the bargain, and that's why you don't think that it's it's able to hold a movement together? No, it's it's almost the opposite. It's like that I – like whenever somebody tells me like, uh, you know, their ideal world is – well, okay, I'm, this is – a it's as it's not a straw man because these people do exist, but um, it's an extreme example of whenever somebody tells me like, yeah, I don't want to use government force to do this at all. But my ideal world like is a completely, you know, white Christian heterosexual community surrounded by a massive wall where we only let people in and out, um, you know, who everybody in the community consents to. And, but we're not going to use government to do it. It's like, well, like, sure. Like that's non-aggressive. You're a libertarian. Um, and whatever, but it's like I don't want to go to that destination, so I'm not going to tag along or help you get there. Um, so whenever they're telling me like that, their end game is like they don't want to use aggressive, but they do want to have like a very like conservative or right leaning end game. It's like I believe them, and I don't want to go there with them. So but isn't that the beauty of the libertarian message? Is that there will be and are different communities in a libertarian world where you aren't forced to live in that. You don't have to live under the Bush regime. You, you can live under whatever regime you want in, in a libertarian society. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And that's not, but I guess wouldn't uh, like the Bush regime. Sure. You don't have to live under that in a libertarian society, but wouldn't it be better if it just didn't exist? Like, but that's not possible. That's, that's sort of where the, the, my critique of the far left or far right, like if you're if you're a, 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 a dominionist or uh, what's the uh, a canonism person, where you you want to build a white racial society, it's like you you can't eradicate people of color. You can't eradicate anybody. Like you you Ryan can't eradicate the idea that th- there will be communities that you find grotesque. And there are communities that will find you grotesque. It's just that you have agreed to leave each other alone. You know, like that, that, and that's, in my mind, one of the most beautiful things about libertarianism is that you have taken away the power of the state to use as a weapon against each other. Now, you can persuade right, but- people to not live that lifestyle, but you can't force anybody to not live that way. Yeah, but I, I agree. Like, don't use the force of the state to try to eradicate those communities but at the same time uh i don't think you have to just quietly tolerate them either like if there's a like let's just imagine we're in this libertarian society where there's a ton of different communities and it's all all voluntary and there's a community who is like you know actively like um like oppressing uh lgbt people or black people or you know choose whatever group you want um yeah, don't use state force against them, but at the same time, like, you shouldn't want that community to exist either. Like, that community needs to change. Um, but I think this is this is the part where the left loses everybody else, is that 
why are you the arbiter of how other people ought to live? I mean, <laughs> I feel like we're, that's, uh, I don't know. We're all like, we all have ideas of how people should live. Um, you know, you can say you don't, but you do. Uh, we all have ideas of how people should live, um, even if we're not willing to use force to uh, put that on other people. And if it's like, why shouldn't you advocate for that? Um, like, I don't think there should be communities that, uh, you know, oppress gay people or oppress black people or, you know, keep uh, oppress homeless people. Um, so why why shouldn't I say those communities are wrong? And is your argument I, that you find that inherently oppressive? Fine. So so a, a community that actively excludes gay people and punishes them for be, being gay—that's a tyrannical system, somewhat. And so it shouldn't exist. Is that the argument that you're making? Uh, yeah. Yeah, we could say that. But let's but say, if it's vol- really quick, if it's voluntary, I'm confused though, because wouldn't those people not be like they wouldn't be forced to be a part of those communities? Then am I missing something? Well, here? I mean, yeah, I think you are, because let's say You're it's just like here. a privately owned community, and you know you got obviously people are going to be born and stuff, and like let's say you have a private community and they have a rule like no gay people can live there, and then a gay por- person is born there, um, like obviously that's tyrannical if like. Because he was just born there, and all this now they're saying he can't. This is um, and so Dan, and this uh, hold on here, and then I'll jump to you. Dan writes these communities would lose in the marketplace of ideas theoretically, and that's sort of my argument against the right for their hysteria. Their hysteria over the right is like once you see a lot of the behavior of people standing around a woman screaming, you're not as a. It's like if you're if you're afraid of Klansmen, go meet one. You will no longer be afraid of them. You will find them to be pathetic, sad creatures. So. Why do you disagree with the idea that the the marketplace would drive people away from those communities? Well, because I mean, those as long as there's people that hold those beliefs, like those communities will continue to exist. Um, like I, I don't know, there's just and there's even the people that don't hold those beliefs. There's enough people who are just complacent and willing to be like, well, as long as they're not using the state to enforce their ideas, who cares? Um, which I think that who cares mindset is just as bad as like, I don't know. I, I understand what you're saying in that, in that you, you don't want to advocate. I, I get what you're saying. I think that the reality is that at a certain point, everybody's going to have to leave everybody alone. <laughs> like there, There's, there's a Harry, go ahead. Uh, first off, Ryan, thank you for bringing this up. This is awesome. Thanks for being brave to be, to be able to talk about this. This is awesome. I want you, want you don't feel bad. Don't, you know, you don't have to apologize. This is awesome. Um, I think as, it's it's tyrannical if that person is being oppressed there and they can't leave that system. If they are actively using violence against that person, then it becomes tyrannical. Like if we can't get that, if someone can't go in there and get that type of person out of that area or they can't leave, then that's a problem with using violence against this person. But if they're just using, you know, even if there are bullying and stuff like that, yes, those are bad. And we, you know, we, we in other communities, different societies can talk about and just messages like, hey, you know, this is awful. The community over there on that hill, this is what they're doing, you know, and we can set up projects and be like, hey, you know, if you want to leave, come, come over here. We've got housing. We got something like that. That's something that we can do to help. All right. Uh, 
that's the, but there will always be societies like that, of that, you know, even now, you know, in, you know, in America, if you put the state violence, that's still going to happen. We can make sure and we want all these laws like that, but those little small pockets of communities who do that, they're still going to do it. They're going to find different ways to do it because they're uh, the, just because someone is racist, bigoted, hate LGBT people, hate trans people, they're not dumb in the aspect of like they don't they they can use state violence to, to still oppress it and then try to shadow it and make it like look i'm not a friend we're not doing that look i've hit my quota i hit my numbers you know they'll hide behind the laws um, yeah that's yeah. the and thomas Sowell wrote conflict of visions where you know you either build a society around the idea of people are imperfectible and and broken or you try to use laws to perfect them which is nearly impossible if not totally impossible and you know the the libertarian argument is that people will always do grotesque awful things to each other it's just that they will no longer have a more powerful tool to be, to beat each other I up i disagree that's the libertarian argument that people are always awful and are going to always do bad things to each other I think i'm not that's saying everyone argument that's compatible with libertarianism but i think it's wrong to say that that is the libert like you don't have to believe that to be a libertarian no and i don't think every person um is i think most people are trying to do but there are there's a decent percentage of people who want to dominate other people mm-hmm. and we want to take away their tools yeah but there doesn't have to i don't i, I don't it's just it seems like it's a like a problem of imagination. Like obviously a more ideal world is going to be impossible if you can't even imagine that it is possible. Um, you have to imagine it before it can happen. You have to believe that it's possible or else obviously it's never going to happen. Um, and yeah, like it, it's not going to happen in any of our lifetimes. But And uh, you know, maybe it is impossible, but why not work for it? Why not try to go that direction? Yes. Yes, Ryan. Yes. Uh, Harry, or, or sorry, Ryan, hold, go ahead, jump in. I just wanted to get into the conversation about these private communities that uh, apparently are going to solve everybody's problems. Um, I think what the issue that is being brought up by Ryan is that's not necessarily getting understood is that we're talking about whether you oppress somebody's rights, right? Do we, as an, as a, um, a movement are we about protecting other people's rights or are we just about protecting our own right leave me alone i don't care what you do to anybody else or do we actively say i don't care who you are i'm going to defend your rights so if you get into a community where somebody is oppressing you or or trying to violate your rights even though it's a voluntary community that you're in is that a concern and, and what i also find interesting is that um a lot of people who claim that they are for property rights and that's the, the whole embodiment of libertarianism, which I completely disagree with, but there are people who think that property rights is libertarianism, libertarianism, is property rights, everything comes from that. And that's the way it is. Right. That's in my opinion, wrong, but there are people who believe that who then go on to say, we should have these private communities. Well, when you get into those private communities, you lose your property rights. You are now a feudal, situation you know you're you're in a you're a feudal system where if you somehow go against the um the community you wake up one day and say you know i don't agree with this anymore i don't think that this should be this way anymore you now have to move you have you are being you will be forced 
to leave your house and your property that you built uh, just because you changed your mind on a, on an issue. Right. So how is that in any way a property, right? The community owns your property and is letting you live there. Mm. Right. So, so how what, is that so, any so what's your... like an HOA that we have in the United States or the government owning the land and, and requiring you to pay property taxes? It's not your property at that point. You don't have control over it. So, why why give that up if you're if you're somebody who believes in property rights why do you believe these community things are going to work that way so we either say that in in the united states let's say the whole country decides to go this route and we get rid of government um we still need some mechanism to protect individual rights um across all of these different communities um or, or or what are we doing? You so know? is your solution just, then the night watchman state? You have to have some some level of government to remit justice. There will always be government. I I I don't understand this idea that we somehow are not going to have government. We may not call it government, but it will exist because human nature wants it to exist. Because human nature wants rules and wants them to be enforced. And when you have rules and they're enforced, you have a government. You can say it's private industry you know, or, or, or private police and that sort of thing, but you still have to have some sort of mechanism where multiple people decide on the rules that are applied to the whole or whole group. Right. Exactly. That really quick. I, yeah. Brian and Hody. So that exactly goes to where we started this entire conversation today. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to have a society where these rules exist, then I think it would behoove us no, to go ahead and work with those people who agree with us on those issues who are going to be putting the rules in place. And therefore, that's why I think it does go in our favor to put our best foot forward, to not just be incendiary for the sake of being incendiary, and to build those positive relationships with people like Rand Paul, like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Ignore the the, the white noise of the people out there who are going to disagree with us anyways, because we're not talking to them. Instead, be the change we wish to see. And I, I mean, I don't know what more we really need to say than that, because if we're going to acknowledge like we just did that these private communities are going to have some type of government, be it a state run government or otherwise, then we would want at least to have the people who are in those positions of making those those rules for those societies at least be libertarian leaning. No. So I think, again, it goes back to my main point. Build bridges. Stop tossing these these random stupid grenades like that, that really serve no purpose. Challenge people when they deserve to be challenged. But otherwise. Like we need, we we are not in a position to be just being divisive for the sake of being divisive. But now you're asking people to be perfect in order no, to. No, I'm not. In order to, yeah. But see, somebody made a mistake, and now the whole LP community has gone completely bombastic. Instead of just addressing it to the uh, LNC, say, hey, LNC, this isn't right. Send them an email. It's not like we don't know who they are, and there aren't people who are going to respond. I did. To I was one of two people who messaged Joe. He told yeah. me that. I was one no, of two people who messaged him. Privately, right. you did the right thing, though. What I'm saying is that so many people who are supposedly uh, the the greatest um, bringers in of people in the community ever decided to make to blow it up and make it a big deal. Great, but I'm not saying of, that. 
That's the point. I'm not making that argument. My argument is, is that if we're actually trying to do this thing that we're talking about, and that is find some solutions where we can get some solutions enacted. And I think, like, are we not all on the same page that ending no-knock warrants, warrants would put America in a better spot, like objectively speaking? And if that's the case, then why are we looking at this example specifically? And like, again, I think it, we have to be like laser focused on what we're talking about. This specific example with Rand Paul that I, I've been harping on is like, that is our mission. We are actually helping real-life people with Rand Paul leading the, the charge and writing the Breonna Taylor bill, right? Like, that is an objective good. And I, I don't see the, the positive outcome from a libertarian policy per perspective in terms of actually bring our, our society into a better place by going after the person who is an ally on this fundamental issue. Going back, I forget, I think it was Hody who brought it up, right? Like, if we're having, was it, no, no, it was, it was uh, uh, Harry, I'm sorry, the a la carte mentality right if we have these people who agree with us on criminal justice so more people like ryan's side right on the left i encourage them to look at rand as a positive ally in that world i don't want them to look at rand as the guy who supports trump on xyz issue i want them to look at rand as the guy who supports criminal justice reform i want them to look at rand as the guy that they can work with on trying to end foreign conflicts i want them to look I, at him as both because yes he is you can do both, both. That's the thing is that we can say he's wrong in his reaction to what happened without saying that it's right that it happened to him. Right. right. I don't agree that those people should have done what they did, but I also don't agree with his response. And that his response is and to me much worse because he is in that position of power where he could get that pushed through and he could get it enacted. Ryan, you have to say no to that. Ryan, are you thinking or are you trying to signal me that you want to talk? You had yeah, your, no, your finger I, I on your head. I just don't think you can separate. Um, yeah, Rand wrote the Breonna Taylor Act, but you can't separate that from his support for Trump. Like he's actively trying to get Trump reelected, um, and that has like massive consequences for you know any sort of uh, criminal justice well, issues on, or matter issues. Matter issues. You question? can't separate the two. And, the at the very least, they just negate each other. Trump is way worse than his writing the Breonna Taylor Act is good. Can, can I ask you a question, like a serious question? So like in that exact kind of scenario, right, would Bernie Sanders supporting Joe Biden enthusiastically mean that we can't look objectively at Bernie Sanders and the things that he does positive and negative despite him supporting Bernie San or supporting Joe Biden in his past history of voting for like the 1994 crime bill or voting for the Iraq war does does that same logic apply now yeah i think i mean you can't okay. i don't think you should separate the two like you have i think uh now looking at Bernie Sanders, and after, especially combined with his, you know, his support for Hillary, his support for Biden, I think you have to look, you should look at Bernie through that lens. Like, yes, this is his his beliefs, but you know, he's really like willing to be a lot less radical than he uh, than like he might come across. So, what about when like Ron Paul was working with him to to focus on auditing the Fed or ending the Fed? Like, was, was that not something that was a good, like a net good if they had been able to accomplish that despite their differences? Yeah, that would have been a net good. Right. So that's my point is that it behooves us to build those relationships to actually get those net goods accomplished. Do you see my point? Yeah, no, I, I like, OK, so the Breonna Taylor Act, like, yes, getting that passed is a net good, but I don't think that you it's 
fair to say like uh, Rand Paul's great on criminal justice because he wrote the Breonna Taylor Act. No, no, I'm not saying that. Uh, I'm saying look for the issues that you can work with somebody on. He's, like, he's it, basically that's saying the, that's the focus. He's saying don't go after the man. Go after the specific policy points and arguments that you disagree with. Yeah. All right. I agree with. Well. <laughs> Admit it, Ryan. Say oh my it. God! Say it. That Everyone, was the best moment ever in the start, entire start show. Screaming at Ryan that silence is violence. Uh, so I, I push back on Brian, though. Let me. I'm just teasing you, Ryan. Let me just say this, Brian. How how do you? Th- there are not a lot of people who are willing to give space to those who just wholesale find Rand Paul or Donald Trump or some of these other people to be. Uh, a, a net negative. So what would you say to people who, you know, I think your argument is we need to give space to everybody, but be nice about it. Is that a fair summation of your argument? Um, Be nice. Be nice is the right to I me. Mean, I just nice in general, kind of like Cody there. But like, I think the, the better um, approach would be like, welcome people in and meet them where they're at. Like, find out what specifically is like their issue right and if there's somebody who they they like full-throatedly reject trump they full-throatedly reject um you know Rand paul i would say oh tell me why like and then once we can have that conversation like then i can start to uncover where it was in their story that they found whatever it is about them you know uh, to be the issue. If it's from a personal perspective, we can have that conversation. If it's from a policy perspective, then we can also say, okay, well, you know, here's here's why there's an issue here and where I actually agree with you or disagree with you on something. And then I encourage them to speak to people like Reinhold, like Harry, like Ryan, like Cody, like everybody else on our channel to start getting those different perspectives of libertarianism that are out there. Because then instead of just having the entire belief that they have on these one or two people being so emotionally invested, now that they can start to, to focus on these particular issues of policy or principle and then the the vision of the person starts to to change right so i would say from uh, i've seen successfully in my libertarian politics right people looking at aoc yes as as somebody that they can work with on some issues i mean good god ted cruz ted cruz is working with alexandria ocasio-cortez on policy like come on we have to acknowledge these positives when we see them we have a tripartisan bill right now with with, being led by libertarian congressman justin amash to end qualified immunity like why are we not talking more about that? And I, I think part of it goes to um, you know, what does sell. And, and right now in 2020, it is hysterics, is the negative. If it bleeds, it leads. And I mean, I think we all have a responsibility to play. I raise my hand as being, you know, the first one that should also do it is promoting more positivity in the world, promoting when we're having these these moments that we're coming together, we're actually having positive policy be pushed through. Um, but also, you know, when people are, are doing the wrong thing to call them out on that, but make sure we're calling them out. Yes, Chris, about the specific policy. Now, if, if they're just an icky person like Richard Spencer, like, let's go. Like, I will call him out. He's a white nationalist, white supremacist, has no, no, um, you know, positive merit to say. He didn't endorse Biden, though, so take that for what it's worth. But when you look at people like that, right, like, I'm on board with you. They're not being good faith actors. And I think at the end of the day, it really does come down to, are you entering a, good, a conversation in good faith? 
And I'm all day long ready to have conversations with people who are willing to sit down with me and actually enter a conversation open-minded and willing to have a genuine back-and-forth discussion and learn from each other. Because otherwise, we're just going to be screaming at each other. And that's no way to actually build a productive society. It's part of the reason we've gotten to the point where you know people are, are toying with – I saw in one of the comments, somebody's like, are you ready for the impending civil war? It's like, good God, guys. I don't want that to be the next step. I want right. to be able to have conversations. And if we're going to be starting these conversations being bombastic, being – you know, going out and just going after people when you're not when you're going after people, it, you completely ignore what they stand for, what they believe. And then those ideas become personified with the person instead of what they stand for. And that's a very, very dangerous road to go down. So I, I don't know if that makes sense. I just it's something that I've been identifying as we've been listening to. I've been listening to Dave Smith. I've been listening to Ben Shapiro. I listen to the We Are Libertarians. Number, I listen to Lions of Liberty. I listen to Tom Woods, Jason Stapleton across the board. And I've been hearing just there is something happening right now that it's making me kind of apprehensive about the general libertarian movement because we all seem to be just getting much more um, much more intense in terms of uh, how we're approaching certain issues. But there are people who are leading the, the charge and trying to build those conversations. So I say, let's encourage more of that. Let's try to be more um, you know, raising up of, of voices and encouraging different voices that aren't like ours, but at the same point in time, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Feel like it's okay to be challenged. That includes me when Ryan comes to the network and starts adding different perspectives. Yes, I encourage that. And I think we should all encourage that. But let's make sure we keep it on a, a you know a productive level, right? Let's actually be able to, again, I know I keep on saying it, but build some actual bridges. Yeah, and then and this is not a commentary on you, Brian. Ryan is here because he makes people uncomfortable. You know, and people who generally and I, you know, and I don't mean to offend you, Ryan, but, you know, I have I have taken shit for why do you have a lib sock? On? Like, I didn't know what a lib sock was until like 2018. I didn't know what what any of the left market libertarian and I didn't read Center for a Stateless Society, you know, the left wing market anarchist site like Ryan's point of view pushes the envelope and makes people uncomfortable because he, he makes them think. That's what I want. I don't care about comfort, you know, and I think sometimes the messaging argument is, and I'm not, again, not Brian saying this. I want to be comfortable. Stop putting in my face things I don't like. That's what I get the sense that I get from the comment section on our stuff. And that I reject wholeheartedly because if you want me to lie to you, if you want me to tell you what you want to hear, sometimes I hear critiques of Joe's campaign and it's literally just stop telling me what I don't want to hear. I don't want to be uncomfortable. Tell me what I want and I'll vote for you. I reject that. Like, that's not how a libertarian society works. It's not how re- the real wor- world works. Like, that's the building the um, building the silos where you get to live in perfect comfort is no longer an option in the Internet age. And, and so I appreciate Ryan's voice because it is he is there to to make the audience a little uncomfortable sometimes because we are so. We are sometimes too far right, in my opinion. Um, Chris, I think I was actually one of the first ones to message you when Ryan left the group. And I was like, what? No, like, come back. Because your voice was so needed because it does bring a balance. It brings the balance to the force. Like, that, we need that. We absolutely need that in our movement. Yeah, um, exactly. And Brian's consistent on this stuff. All right. Don't don't uh, get started on Star Wars. Yeah. Stop right there. Uh, My associate producers are demanding my attention. So I need Hody to finish up. Give us the last word. Hody, you get to bring it home. Well, you got to unmute yourself first. (laughs) I I used the button. Sorry. All right. 
You can look at all of these differences and say that you have two enemies. You could look at something like what we were talking about earlier, like property rights, and say the capitalists don't get it and the socialists don't get it. Both of them are my enemies. The far right and the far left are both my enemies. Or what you can do is say, I have two friends. We're just speaking a different language right now. When I... When we want to solve a problem like homelessness in America, and one side, when we go on, when we look at it from the government perspective, we can say both sides are wrong, which is kind of true, right? If you want to make a lot of enemies, you can poke holes in both sides. On one hand, the lefties want to throw a whole bunch of money that they've stolen from other people at it and put it in the hands of politicians and hope that suddenly, magically, the politicians, after decades of not giving two craps about homeless people, that suddenly their hearts will magically change and they'll actually decide to do something, right? Or you can look at it at the far right, which says, there's no problem with homelessness. These people need to stop doing drugs. They're idiots. They're stupid. You know, we don't care about those people. All right. That's one way to view it. And in that case, if you decide that that's the lens with which you want to look at the world, you will always have two enemies and you will what there's like 96 percent of the country decided not to vote for the libertarian candidate or whatever. Right. You'll have enemies with 96 percent of the country or something like that. You will lose. Okay, or your message can be this. You actually have two friends because the left doesn't actually want to throw money at it. They don't believe suddenly that politicians will care. And if you bring them another message, like be like, hey, man, I'm looking at these stats here. And from what I know about supply and demand, it doesn't make any sense for us to have 10 to 20 completely abandoned, empty, unused homes for every one homeless person. That is senseless. That is not capitalist. That's not socialist. That's just wrong. That's just that's just bribing politicians to create false scarcity. And that's wrong. And I think the way we can solve this hey, how about instead of getting money to these people who don't give a crap, we let the market take over and say, hey, National Association of Realtors, I appreciate that you pay $9 million to politicians every year to have a monopoly on that. How about we say they don't get the power to do that? No politician should be able to take that bribe. No corporate corporation should be able to give that bribe. Well, I think you're going to make a lot of friends on the left with that message because you cared about the problem and you're presenting a solution that's actually works better than their current solution of piracy and putting the the loot from that piracy into the hands of people who don't give a crap. They know that as much as anybody else, right? You create a friend there. Now let's look at the right. Oh, you know, we could just dismiss them a whole bunch of like uncaring, unfeeling whatevers. But we say, hey, man, like I get what you're saying. How about you not have to fork over your money for those guys? You not be forced to do it. I agree with that. How about you not be forced to give part of your subsidies to these associations, right? Hey, I hate, let's not just say, hey, I don't like stealing money to give it to poor people. Let's, hey, let's stop doing it for wars. Let's stop doing it for everything. And I think you'll find a lot of people on the right who will say, you know what? Yeah, all right. Yeah, I don't want to pay any taxes. Sure, let's get rid of all of it, right? You might not get everybody, but generally speaking, you're going to be able to find two allies where you once had two enemies. And I think that when we talk about the the topic of the show is like, how to disagree amicably, right? This is how you disagree amicably. I disagree. You'll note that in my example, I disagreed with both the right wing and the left wing solution. But I think right wingers and left wingers will both hear both hear my solution and say like, yes, I like that better. We talked about property before. Should a community own the ground that you sleep on? Should any collective at all own the area in which you sleep or the instruments with which you work or the fruits of your labor? 
we kind of had this conversation about whether whether your community should own it, whether it's like some type of HOA property or whatever, or whether, you know, so should some collective own it, like we own it collectively, like some direct democracy, whatever it would be like, and we will determine the rules as a, as a whole society that everyone has to live by. I firmly reject both, right? And the right answer to this is that you should own the fruits of your labor, your labor, the ground on which you sleep, and your stuff. Nobody else, right? One of the issues that I had is we, what we said, we said, oh, well, you're free to leave. If you have to leave, you weren't free, okay? You're free to stay. You're free to be yourself on your own property, right? And this is something that appeals to both the right and the left, right? The right needs to kick her, Hans Hermann Hop to, cur- to the curb, all right? Not many People actually understand Hop enough, well enough to actually embrace him. Some people will. Those people are too far gone. That's too bad. Kiss him goodbye, right? But most people on the right would be like, owning my own property? Yeah, I kind of like that. And then you look at the left and you say, man, hey, wouldn't you rather own it than some corporation, than some national association, than some HOA? And they'll say, yeah, I kind of like the idea that I can be myself on my on my own property more than anybody else. This is how you build bridges and build alliances, because we have solutions that are not compromises. They are radical difference. They are not somewhere in between the right and the left, right? We talked about the spectrum. This is not a halfway, giving the, the right a little bit of what they want, giving the left a little bit of what they want. This is giving every single individual in the United States, in the entire world, exactly what they want when we preach the message of liberty and because we leave it up to them. And this is, I guess, my my closing statement. Find those bridges. Build bridges. Find that common ground. You may think you're a really good critic. You might believe it. We have too many critics. We do not have nearly enough supporters and encouragers. Everybody thinks they're the one critic that the world needs, that I'm the one that's good enough to analyze the whole libertarian movement, and who's supposed to be here and who's not supposed to be here, and who's doing a really good job and who's, doing, and who's not doing a very good job. Everybody believes that they're good at that. If you think that, you're probably wrong. I think we should have like 1% critics and 99% of people who are out and doing things. So if you're hearing this and you're saying, oh, man, I love to criticize people for their views and how they present their views and what their views are, instead of being encouraging and supportive, then you're probably you probably need to make a change to be one of the builders as opposed to one of the destroyers. Sometimes demolition is necessary. It's very little of the time, and we have plenty of them. So frankly, it's a, it's a saturated market. Just go do something else and be a builder. I am so grateful for the Wall Network, uh, for these voices that encourage me to be myself, for the diversity that we foster here. I love the differences of opinion that we have, that we have different, different opinions on all of these things, because ultimately we are in the enviable position. As a Republican that supports big government republicanism, you can't agree to disagree because you need to protect your ethnostate. As a Democrat, you can't agree to disagree. You need to, to exist on piracy, right? You cannot agree to disagree with Republicans and Democrats. Libertarians, amongst each other, we can absolutely agree to disagree. I can think that this will work or that that will work, and I'm free to enact that and enter those contracts that I want on my terms. And if you don't like it, you should enter a different contract, And that's no skin off my back. 
we're all the better for it. In fact, competition is a driving force for making things better. I support libertarian socialism and libertarian capitalism because both of those things will have to compete and make each other better. I hope that I hope that one doesn't crush the other in a libertarian society. I hope that both exist, that people do the one that's better for them, and that they drive each other to be better by driving up standards of, standards of living and driving down price. That's libertarian philosophy at its core. So I am just so grateful that we are willing to bring every side to these subjects. We have hot takes. We have libertarian right, left, center takes, and all of them are the best takes. And if you're listening to We're Libertarians, you're listening to the right channel. I've surfed around. I've listened to all the podcasts. Just, just you are in the right place right now. Keep your subscription. Patreon, guys, thank you so much for keeping us afloat. You guys are the best. And uh, I love you all. All Thank right, Hody. Well, everybody, make sure that you listen to the Brian Nichols show on uh, the We Are Libertarians Network. Follow everybody on the network, and uh, we appreciate all of you listening, especially our patrons. He mentioned our patrons, our one hundred dollar a month patrons are Anthony Meyer, Brad Tracy, Ed Brehob, Jason Doolittle, Jeff Bennett, Christy Avery, Matthew Durbin, and Ryan Hold. Thank you so much for keeping this ship afloat. Without you, uh, we couldn't host great shows like the Brian Nichols show or do many of the things that were on the run with Remzo Martinez or Gingerarchy. Uh, Trisha Stewart, man, was supposed to be here today, but she doesn't care enough about libertarianism or you to be here, quite frankly. Um, so, which is very sad. All right, I'm sorry. I was divisive and, and uh, bomb-throwing there. Brian will yell at me off air later. All right, guys, thank you so much, and we will see you again next week.